That's it, Cleveland Moto Podcast. Ah, so tonight, hopefully, our audience appreciates the subtle improvement and, dare I say, massive amount of technical artillery on the table right now. I feel like the threat level has been increased dramatically. We all have microphones. I don't. I feel like I can't breathe. <laughs> I don't want anybody to hear my heavy, fat man breathing. It really is. I mean, <laughs> with, with uh, what what Cinch has brought, Sleepy Sleepy went home and raided the audio cabinet. Apparently, and so yeah, we each have. We all have our own gear. We've got a, a massive mixer. Um, it, we got. A, we still have snacks and beers, and that hasn't changed. We have. A grossly not enough content for the amount of firepower is here in audio <laughs> visual equipment. Uh, so yeah, well done, Sleepy. Thank to my left is Dan Crocky. Yay! And Dan, did you bring any crazy, ridiculous beers again tonight? Because we're we're all nothing blown crazy away. this time. Some fatheads. <laughs> Some fatheads. And to his left, Johnny Mac. And to his left, Chris Smith. And Steve Sleepy. Sleep. And your humble narrator, <laughs> Phil Waters. Again, uh, we have had. Quite a bit of quite a bit of news in the motorcycle world happening. Uh, first of all, winter hit yesterday. For the very first time, I came out and there was snow on my vehicle. This morning or yesterday? Last night when I left the bar. Yeah. So we did a little Halloween shenanigans over at Porco. Uh-oh. Yeah, it was good. Good time was had by all. And we, by the time we left the bar, and I'd say, you know, a little bit after midnight, a little bit after the witching hour, we had... Uh, I discovered that not only was there frost on my pumpkin, but there was about three inches of snow on my frickin' Toyota Hiace. I thought you had a punchline there. Not I know. only was there frost on my yeah, pumpkin. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. But there, there was two lips on my organ. On my Tootsie Roll. <laughs> <laughs> <There> was, <laughs> yeah, it was uh it was pretty freaking nasty. And now you rode today, Chris. I did. What'd you ride? The concourse. The concourse. Yeah. Yeah, right. So when in doubt. But the winter it, bike. It's it's really not that cold out tonight. I didn't think, you know. And gear up. You right. know, we all know how to gear up. Yeah. So and that is that's the biggest it. part of it is the gearing up business, <clears throat> and that that is that's all of it. I broke out my duct tape fleece jacket. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got no. the actual your your puffy jacket that's yeah. held together with duct tape. Yeah, it blows down. That's out. how you. Yeah. <laughs> my own walking, blows down. My own walking <laughs> snowstorm. So it's called blows down syndrome. The uh, yeah, that's. Uh, it's definitely gotten, it's proper cold. We've turned the corner, and that's just it. We're just going to have to admit it. We're going to have to lean into it. Winter's but do you here. think we're going to have cold all day long for I have no idea. the rest of the, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it'll come back. I think next week we're going to be 60 50s, degrees again yeah. for a couple of days, and that's that's just what's going to work out. <laughs> the leaves haven't really changed. I mean, like, we this can't be the start of winter. We still haven't quite finished fall. I like to think that we haven't nearly finished fall yet. And getting, you know, you get these random little you know, blasts of snow. I think what we're getting, we just got a little bit of snow that was the poor bastards in Denver got shit hammered f- four days ago. I think that's all we just got. Oh, I mean, like yeah. two weeks or three weeks ago, Montana got three feet or oh, yeah. something like that. It was yep. ridiculous. I'm like, what? Well, they predict it was going to be an early winter this year. Oh, yeah. Everywhere. And I, I've seen more pictures on the social media of woolly bears. <laughs> Everybody that I know who's a Midwesterner has got the pictures out of all their woolly bears. And I've never seen... So many all-black woolly bears. And as you know from the Farmer's Almanac, if you're an Ohio person, the more black is on a woolly bear, the worse the winter is going to be. And a woolly bear is a little caterpillar that is predominantly orange with black stripes. And everyone's posting pictures up of these woolly bears that are just purely black, like 
stem to stern, which usually indicates a fierce winter coming on. Either that or a Sharpie marker. Over or a Sharpie marker, exactly. That's, that's, that's exactly what it is. Um, but, yeah, big thing coming up. A lot, of, uh, a, a lot of really, as far as I'm concerned, I've been doing some riding. I took that 89 Harley-Davidson we talked about last week, the FLHS, the Electroglide Sport. We could put the new rear tire on it, pulled the, uh, pulled the carb off the SNS carb, gave it a thorough cleaning, put a Screaming Eagle uh, ignition on it, and took off those ridiculous shotgun pipes and put on a set of actual, real 1989 OEM uh, dealership pipes. And I've been riding that around the neighborhood, and it's been a blast. It's mm. been fun. It's a horrible motorcycle by, like, motorcycle performance standards. But it is like if, some, if your grandfather gave you the keys to his 1937 Chrysler. You wouldn't expect it to give you the same performance as the car you drove to work in the morning, but it would be fun. You know, it's, yeah. it's fun to drive around in the freak show. And I do drive a, you know, 2013 FLH police bike a lot. And it is funny the difference between the 1989 FLH S. And it's a sport model. It's the cheapest Electroglide you could have purchased in 1989. It doesn't have the spoke wheels. It's got the alloys. Um, and it has virtually nothing else going for it. It's got the windshield, but it's not a batwing fairing or anything. It's just, it is just a, the FLH that you could buy if you went into your dealership in 89 and said, I have just enough money to buy an FLH. That's what you would have got. That is the base model Electroglide. We have it listed for $49.99. Look for the upcoming video for the Badass Bikes in a Budget series. Um, that $49.99 price is flexible. You're more than... John tried to drink his microphone. <laughs> it's a vertical object, and it's in front of me. I must drink it. The, uh, so it is really a, um, kind of a fun bike to mess around with. And, you know, it is. It's a big, heavy, lunky motorcycle. Their handlebars are rubber-mounted, and they're over a foot tall. So when you use the front brake, your fists try to punch through the windshield because they're rubber-mounted handlebars that are over a foot tall. Oh, yeah, you're like rowing. It's like being on a rowing machine. When you accelerate, your whole torso goes backwards an inch and a half. And when you hit the brakes, your torso goes forwards an inch and a half because they're rubber-mounted handlebars, and they're tall. It had that same effect on the oldest, like the Honda Trail, the CT90s. Mm -hmm. Had yeah. The older ones had the little cushion in the... So That's it's, right. Yeah. It's like... You're like, who thought this was a great who idea? Who came up with this and thought it was a great idea? Yeah, and that's and that's exactly what it is. So it's been a fun bike to ride around on, and you know we just popped it up on Facebook Marketplace. We're not trying too hard to sell it because, you know, the season is over, so... For us right now, we're kind of... That'd look really nice under somebody's Christmas tree. Though. Oh, it it's the would. the right color of red. Factory everything. original Wineberry Red, and Dress. the pinstripes are all still there, and it looks good. Dress yeah. up like Santa, you could ride that. You could ride that to work as to your office Christmas party if you wanted to. <laughs> the uh, So that's a that's an interesting thing. So a friend of mine wow. asked me if I had seen the... Uh, Friend of mine asked me if I'd seen the new uh, new Harley Davidson. I told him, "Yeah, but not since second gear." <laughs> <laughs> Again, the hate mail, the hate mail will come in. Yeah, the, if if nothing else, the I'm people... here all week. Try the veal. Yeah, I was working on a brand new Harley Davidson. Yeah, Send so you a picture of that. I, you did. You sent me a picture of a brand new Harley Davidson police model. Yep, yep, yep. And so, are those CAN bus wiring systems, or are they still? Modifiable. They're still modifiable. It's wow. all still Harley. And then I, I, I don't know why it just it didn't. 
I started working on it, and I'm like, oh, do, 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 do. and I've got my whole metric set. And oh, and for our listeners, John works installing police radios, police radios, and city of Cleveland. Uh, safety equipment on these elect- emergency vehicles. Whatever it is, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Anything, whatever. anything that has a radio in the city of Cleveland. <laughs> so yeah, the bikes came in, and so I'm like, you know, everything in my world is all metric. And then I started working on the bike, and I'm like. <laughs> Oh, that's right. <laughs> I'm glad I still have some regular I'm standard. Like, oh I'm my like, God. and I was scratching my head. I'm like, no, they really everything is still standard on a Harley Davidson. It no really me- is. They haven't gone metric. Nothing. Not uh, one thing. No, I don't think. So. Well, there uh, the on the shock. I was going to say the suspension the is suspen- a show. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. shock, like the nuts were those were like 10 millimeters. And I believe the seat on, like the seat rods on the one the little cushion there. The brakes on mine are Brembo, mm-hmm. and they're all metric. Yeah. So the brakes are metric. So it is funny that you will, in fact, if you are going to work on a more modern Harley Davidson, you will need to have metric, and you'll need to have standard. But like the, you know, everything that hold the clamshells for the controls and all, and yeah. this and the studs that hold the you know. Mm. I was, yeah, like, it's really that's that's kind of interesting. And um, I had my I had my certification uh, a couple of weeks ago for the law enforcement test, and I got to go out and ride through the cones and do everything else. And it's uh, seven seven a.m. start, and I showed up. I think it was a seven thirty a.m. start. I showed up at seven o'clock um, across from Burke Lakefront Airport, where they do the testing. You see the police cars out there sliding around and stuff. And I showed up, and I got there at 7. It was vacant. There was nobody in the parking lot at all. So I went down the street to a, a little breakfast place I know of that's like at 40th and what used to be 40th and uh, Huff, but now it's 40th and Commerce. So I went there and popped in and was getting myself, had pretty well ordered my coffee and had my eyes on a really nice eclair that was sitting there. <laughs> and I hear a motorcycle pull up, and this guy comes in from another department from a different, you know, from, he's an actual officer. And he comes in and he's like, is that your police bike out front? Yeah, yeah, it is. You, you, what, I'm, I'm going to do the test. I'm going to do the certification test. Okay. And uh, he says, I was like, yeah, I just figured I'd come in and get myself a coffee and a donut. He goes, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't. He goes, they're going to coffee and donut you to death. He goes, I recommend protein. And he got himself like a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich just to get on the leading edge of the donut and coffee armada that was about to hit. And yeah, we were there till 11 a.m. And we, I think I drank 16 cups of coffee and ate about a dozen donuts. I lived like a police officer for one morning. And you don't want to chase anybody after that. You don't want to ride a motorcycle through highly complicated cones and stuff like that. Um, very difficult. Yeah, very, very challenging. 16 when, cups of coffee, there's no, uh, don't tense up. Right, yeah, don't tense up, don't tense up, don't fall off Just the relax, bike, you'll be fine. Because you'll uh, you'll piss yourself instantly. The uh, It was about 48 degrees, and I had all my good cold weather gear on. It was you know, bright and early in the morning. And so I had ridden in from Avon Lake, so I had all the good stuff, right? I was wearing everything we talked about last week. I was wearing it. And everyone else shows up, and they're wearing their official police department duds which is like polyester pants and it's, slacks. Yeah, it's not warm weather gear. High boots, it's not yeah, it's not yeah, it's not cold weather gear. It's not meant for operating motorcycles in the snow. And these guys froze their fucking asses off. I was the only person there with a full face. Yeah. That gives you an idea. And I have my big winter gauntlets on, the heated stuff and I mean I was just couldn't have been happier. And I'm just standing around, and they draw they draw lots to see when you're going to go. At what order are you going to go in the program? And there were 18 bikes present. I went bike number 17. 
Perfect. So you get to see, you get to recon and see what other people are doing and see where they're having problems. And they're laying a lot of rubber down and drying up that asphalt. So it's making it more fun for you. So it's going to be a lot stickier by the time I went through. I got an aggregate score of 86 uh, out of 100. So I was totally happy with that. Couldn't be happier. And mission accomplished. I have achieved greatness. I have done what I set out to do a year ago, which was to obtain a Harley-Davidson police motorcycle, train, my, train myself and with the help of a coach to participate and qualify in the testing for a law enforcement officer on a police motorcycle, which is tough, and I'm glad I did it. And it's, it was, it's more rewarding than doing wheelie school. <laughs> so wheelie school was more fun, but this is like one of these elements of my motorcycle history or my motorcycle career that I've wanted to do. I've wanted to be able to take a big fat motorcycle and turn it in an impossibly small period amount of space. So all the Harley people that think we always bash on Harley, right? You just did a test on a right. Harley, oh, so no. you obviously can't hate Harley Davidson. No, no, and I, I don't. And I've said, I believe, since podcast number one, I love. One, the fact that Harley-Davidson exists, I think we absolutely need them as an American motorcycle company. I wish there was more than just Harley-Davidson and Indian. What do you say about Moto Guzzi? What did the guy tell you in Italy? He said, you can love the, you can love the bike without loving the company. You can love the product. You can love the history. You can love the steed without loving the people who crunch the numbers to produce it. And that's what it is. And 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 not to beg on anybody, but yeah, um, we all, most of us, probably read the Sonny Barger quote uh, about Harley Davidson. Bring that out, <laughs> Trot that out. Yeah, uh, that's truly. Did you guys, art. anybody hear this? The the Sonny. so in his book, Sonny Barger, the he's like the oldest president of the Hell's Angels. He came he came clean and basically uh, this is a I'm not quoting 100. percent I'm just kind of roughing the the paragraph, but he basically said that. The only reason they ride Harleys is because that was all that was available when they did. And unfortunately, they the stigma stuck to him because he said, personally, he's like, I'd love to have a fucking Honda ST1200 or whatever because that fucker goes 140 miles an hour and is comfortable. Mm-hmm. And he's like, boosts go 180. Mm-hmm. And they don't break down for 20, 30, 40, you know, 250,000 miles. And so he goes through the whole thing of like, he goes, but unfortunately it's too late and we're stuck with these shitbag bikes. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we're done, you know? Um and he, I, I think the way it worked out is um, from his biography that said it's always been important for Hell's Angels to ride American-made machines. In terms of pure workmanship, personally, I don't like Harleys. I ride them because I'm in the club, and that's the image. But if I could, I would seriously consider riding a Honda ST1100 or a BMW. We really missed the boat on switching over to the Japanese models when they began building bigger bites. I usually say, fuck Harley Davidson. You can still buy an ST1100 and the motherfucker will do 110 miles per hour right from the factory all day long. While it's probably too late to switch over now, it would have been a nice move because Japanese bikes today are so much cheaper and better built. That's it. That's it. That's the word of the man. You Dude, mean? that's, I mean, that's tough when he's the, like, he's your Jesus. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's he it. Need, he, need, he needs to take a stand and do it. Step well, out front. It, it is, a, it is one of those things where, yes, if you sit around long enough, and we know people that used to be in 1% clubs and, we, and that don't do that anymore, and that was one of the first things that they hung up, was they hung up that, like, I don't have to ride this brand anymore. Now, it's very funny because I also have tons of my friends that are like, okay, well, someday, and I said it on this podcast, 
years ago. Someday, I'm going to find the right Harley-Davidson police model. It's going to be fuel-injected, and it's going to be cheap enough that I can afford to buy it. And that happened last year, and I bought that particular motorcycle. It had been pre-crashed, it had been pre-loved, and I was able to buy it at a low price. And so that was the bike I wanted. I specifically said it had to be a police model because there's attributes about the police model that I do love. Now, after riding it, you guys have all seen me riding it this year. I've ridden it a lot. And what I can tell you is it's still a fun bike, and I love riding it. But when I jump off of that bike and jump onto something else, it is an absolute shift. I mean, it's the other, you know, it is the most, it is the bike that I have to concentrate on the most to be precise with. But what if you were going to go to like like six hours yeah. straight lining on the highway? Yeah. Would that, would that bike cut it? Like, is it comfortable? I rode it for seven hours the other day. On Monday, I did the whole Metro Parks. I did every every stitch of the Metro Parks that you can do. I did the entire rails. I did their entire... Uh, canal. Canal. I did the canal run. I stopped at a few different places along the way. The, the weather was perfect. It was like 60 degrees and the leaves were changing. Mm. It was a beautiful day for a ride. Intoxicating. It was. And because the bike has a good saddle on it, it's got the police seat on it, so it was very comfortable without being too squishy. But it still is that thing where when you are doing pinpoint maneuverability, it's just a really heavy bike. You, you just It's just the definition of its character. It's fine when you're underway. Yeah, and if you are thinking about like stabbing it through a corner, which I like to do, I, like, I love to go into a, I love going into that, you know, 20 mile per hour left-hander under the bridge when you're getting down by Boston, you know, mills. And I love that turn. That turn is an impossible decreasing radius left-hand turn that when you come at it heading south, the turn is like, oh, it's a kitty cat. That's an easy turn. No big deal. Turn your bike around and go at it going north. It's a totally different turn. It's terrifying. You run out of road instantly. I've seen more motorcycles go left to center on that thing because they think they know that turn headed southbound. And when they're headed northbound, it's a totally different animal. And you're right under that fucking bridge, so there's no exit line except for the car grill coming at you the other way. In the abutments. Yes, exactly. It's a fucking scary turn to blow. And I did that turn probably nine times on Monday. I, I rode at it. And then it turned around, and I'd ride at it the other way. And once you become proficient with a Harley-Davidson, as big as that bike is, they do change direction 180 degrees within the two lanes. So you know, you're traveling, let's just say, southbound, and you want to be turning northbound. On the Harley-Davidson motorcycle, yeah, it's lock, look, and lean, man, or look, lean, and lo- or look, lock, and lean. It's totally fine to throw the motorcycle into an absolute deadlock and power through it. And the bike does that beautifully. And when you've become proficient at turning 180s on that thing, it's, that's fun. Because you're like, this big girl can move. But I've also done so many maximum performance launches on that bike that we'll be riding with anybody. And the light will go green, and I will just give that thing every ounce and that's a 103 cubic inch motor it's not a little motor wind it up and dump it i give that bike (laughs) no quarter i i front wheel i know is like there's a molecule of air under the front tire there's no traction control (laughs) it doesn't need it and that bike has hoisted the front end as much as it can hoist it 
and I don't shift until the motorcycle is telling me it is time to shift for maximum power. You should have shifted yesterday. Well, I don't. Yeah, I know there's no power after a certain point with right. these. They like to only go out to a certain number of RPM before they start losing wind real fast. And you, you know what's funny is you you launch it as hard as you can launch it, and you're like, wow, that was exhilarating because it made all the noise and the fury and everything else. And I still have stock pipes on mine. And then. Then you get on a motorcycle like a 650, like a Versus, and you launch it with p- power and fury, and you realize how much faster you're going. <laughs> and the front wheel is almost impossible to keep on the ground. So it is, you do have to say, it, everything is a sliding scale. So, and I don't have stock pipes anymore. I did put a set of Screaming Eagles on there yeah. because a customer, well, a customer came in and said, these fucking pipes are too loud. Get them off my bike. <laughs> so we took them off his bike, and we put on a set of pipes that he brought in. And... Uh, these screaming eagles that are, I forget what they call them, street sweepers, whatever, but they're designed for extra deep bass and tone. And <laughs> there's more marketing hype in these fucking exhausts. And 5,000 horsepower, obviously. Oh, clearly. Yeah. And you know what? I looked. I couldn't find a dyno sheet that proved they made any more horsepower. But they said, like, the design is to give you more bass and to give you more you know, a, a volume of sound. And we put them on. They're not that much louder than factory pipes. They're just, I mean, they're okay. We've had a ton come through here that were just awful. The exhausts on them were $3,000 worth of decibels. And these aren't too bad. So the Screaming Eagle pipes on my bike, the reason I changed them is now that I'm done competing or now that I'm done practicing, I'm not going to have the bike on the ground as much. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So now my pipes don't have to look like they've literally spent their entire life on their side. Um, The OEM pipes... When we, we've got it in the back there. They look like they lost a battle. They look like they were in a jousting competition with an 18-wheeler and lost. <laughs> I've never seen exhaust that looks so beat up. But my bike did spend a lot of time on its, you know, on its ass. So it's, uh, it's fun to... So now I've got one pretty part on the whole bike. I've got some pretty pipes. And turns out they're not that expensive, like 430 bucks. So that's the cheapest set of exhaust I can imagine when... One fucking scooter pipe costs about seven hundred and fifty bucks for a Vespa GTS. <laughs> right, so right, getting right. a set of Harley pipes for four fifty seems like a bargain. Yeah, right. Yeah, in our world. So yeah, so that's uh, so that was the that's the little the Harley part of today's podcast. Unless anybody else got anything else. That was well one of the things that I found sort of well disappointing or shocking or whatever. The brand new Harley that I'm working on. Yeah. No heated grips. Yeah, that's I'm not like a thing. this is a police bike. Yeah, you'd think that these it would guys be... are supposed to be hardcore riding in all kinds of weather and everything, and you're not even going to give them heated grips. I would think that would be standard equipment. Standard equipment. I mean, my Ducati has heated grips, and that's yes. standard. Right? Does, does your police bike have heated grips? No, fuck no, not yet. Oh, podcast picture Indeed. with our equipment. Jeez. Yeah, look at that. Got all the cool stuff. Thank Daniel's you. No, peeing. Oh, no, no cranky. God damn it. We'll have to wait until he, he comes back from right, the You cut him out of the picture. Yeah, we'll take another one. He's here. He's just, just transparent. Yeah. Just put a big beer bottle where he normally sits. <laughs> the, and, uh, it, and it did have, and I was, look, read. well, then it made me read the, I was like, well, let's look at this. Because somebody came in and like, what is that? The Nepal HM? And I'm like, brother, I don't know. I call it a road gang. <laughs> is it the FLHCTV? But I uh, Yeah, there, okay. And I did make the comment. You know, Harley Davidson does have sixty semi-distinct models on yeah, there exactly, at any right. given yeah, time. Yeah, it is true. Like, it is the TP though. You guys are using the plastic. The the guys with the, the actual molded fiberglass batwing fairings on the front. No, it is not the plexiglass. TP. It, so, so that would be the Electroglide. FLHT Touring Police. Touring Police. So right. this is down one Road Glide. This is the Road, road King. King. So That's the Road I, King has same as mine. 
no no right. fair it's just, just clear plexiglass clear windshield oh yeah. there's Kromke's back we're gonna take a we're gonna take a group photo with Renee's gonna take our picture now that we have a soundboard and microphones and all the other delicious shit that, <laughs> that real podcast people have the uh, yeah so I didn't know that they were ple- that the Cleveland police were using that one two three pictures <laughs> yay excellent all right yeah. now we're back that, the quietest camera for In the, the podcast, vivid right? black and silver yeah black and silver, silver. is the cleveland colors mm-hmm. mine's black and white the not cleveland colors mm-hmm. the uh so that's uh so that's a thing so we were talking uh what i wanted to discuss because the market the motorcycle market right now we've all been every time we get together we always talk about like man the numbers are dropping and you know it's it's getting tough what the hell's our future going to look like? Is there going to be a future for a lot of these companies? Are they still going to be here? Oh, Renee put her nuts on the table. <laughs> nice. Talented. Ooh, they taste like honey sriracha. Oh, honey sriracha. Oh, oh, honey. Thanks, Renee. Oh, jeez. That's your sriracha. You're not allowed to. You're right. touching the table. You're touching okay. the table. Don't touch the table. Oh, my God. The uh, Unless you're putting your nuts on it. Then you can. Yeah. So I, I love watching the Indian market. I love using India as a, a pulse of where the world is headed because India used to just be so far behind financially. Their their average rider there really couldn't afford a lot of motorcycle, and you had to be doing pretty damn well to get into a bike in India to begin with. There wasn't, you know, it just wasn't like you had this disposable income to go out and buy a bunch of bikes. I was so, reading a story about a local guy here. Who tried to well, and that's what we're going to we're going to get into it. And now, I will preface this statement by saying, if we appear to be unnecessarily hard on Cleveland Cycle Works, it's only because one, they have part of our name in their name. Yeah. So, being that we are Cleveland Moto, and that we have been a Cleveland-based shop for our entire lives. People have always made the assumption that, of course, we carried Cleveland Cycle Works, which we did when they first launched. And we tried them, and we tested them, and it didn't go well with us. We did not have a good experience with Cleveland Cycle Works. To wit, we felt like as a dealership, instead of being thanked for carrying their product and representing their product for them and giving their product a place to be sold and people to people that were trained to know about it, to talk to customers. They should have been giving us a hand job. Well, what should have happened was when we had a customer that had failures with their bike, they shouldn't have immediately just said, well, your dealer clearly doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> your, dearly, your dealer clearly didn't prep it right because when the axle breaks, that's clearly the dealer didn't prep the bike right. Wait, you've been selling bikes for one year. You were selling bikes for 20 years exactly. when that happened. Right, and, that's, and that really is a... Should a, I speak into the microphone more? Yeah, yeah, that's, that works real good. Yeah, that's... And so that was a big thing for us was the way that we felt like we weren't supported well by them. And then when our customers that we did sell bikes to started having mechanical failures that were clearly manufacturing problems, metallurgy, things that were breaking that should have never broken. It didn't pass the wheelie test. We know that it didn't pass the wheelie test. And that was that, was that come to Jesus bike moment. Bike that one. was bike number one. So the first misfit. Prior to that, they had the heist, which was a hard tail because, you know, rear suspension is complicated. And they had the hardtail. We never tried to wheelie that. We did some smoky burnouts on it, but we couldn't wheelie a bike that had a you know seven-foot-long wheelbase. Now, as soon as we got the Misfit, though, 250cc Cafe Racer, Whoa. wow, that was Very an energetic good. out. <laughs> Giddy up. 
That's yes, going to land someday. The, uh, <laughs> it's going to hit Sputnik. The, we tried to wheelie a misfit, and we took it out of the crate, and we went over the bike, and we prepped it exactly according to their prep sheet, and we took it out in the parking lot, and we rode it around the parking lot a few times and made sure all the round parts were round and the moving parts were moving. And at some point, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to wheelie it. <laughs> As you do. As you do. Right. And I, I tried doing a power wheelie, and that was not going to happen. So I tried doing a clutch wheelie. You know, a little rolling, got yourself about three miles per hour, and then pull, reel the clutch in, rev it to the fucking moon, and drop the clutch out. And it made a terrible noise. And I realized that what I had done is I had completely folded over the rear axle adjusters that hold the axle in place to keep your chain tension where it's supposed to be. This metal was the same type of metal that you would find on your child's bike that was sort of what was made out of the... uh, the the training wheel yeah like the that little like oh yeah. you know like it was soft awful. mild steel like and sucked the plates right inside the tube it pulled the plates into the tube which was insane oh, I'd like never that. seen that before in my life the the metal was softer than crap and not only that but you know the you have a pinch effect you have thousands of pounds of pinching pressure mm-hmm. when you have a giant you know twenty four millimeter nut on the end of an axle mm-hmm. and when you tighten that nut up on fine thread, you're going to get all this tor- all this tension against you're squeezing these frame plates on your rear sw- on your rear stays, mm-hmm. and you're squeezing those things on your swing arm stays with a ton of ton, ton well not a ton, many tons of pressure, and yet drop the clutch, peel that shit like a banana, <laughs> and I, you just learn about in one second you learned about metallurgy, you learned about heat treating, and you learned about people who just don't care. And no standard, no testing was ever done, clearly, or they would have discovered that. I'm it's, not a morbidly obese pe- person. I'm 200 pounds. And we were very excited about that bike. We were. We'd already prototyped an exhaust system for it. We, we had a lot of great plans for that. And long and short of it, I immediately contacted our representative, the, the man who owns the company, and said, we have a problem. You need to come and look at this. Mm-hmm. And it took a long time to get him to come out and look at it. And then when he did come out and look at it, he was like, oh, well, you know, you didn't, something was loose or you didn't tighten something or something was wrong. No, dude, now you're, now you're pissing me off because you're standing in my shop surrounded by a hundred and some motorcycles that I service on a daily basis, everything from England, America, Japan, everywhere. And you're telling me somehow that this Chinese bike is my, like, it's my problem. It did this. But I think it came out in the wash if you read that article because... Yeah. I mean, he obviously didn't prepare for anything or even follow rules. or I mean, like, this guy does not seem like he's... Well, so here's what we're going to say. Um, this guy's kind of been around, and we've had to hear a lot about this. And I'm not going to say his name for the podcast because you can figure that out. You have Google. Um, but the company's called Cleveland Cycle Works, and they've kind of... Here in our town, we had to read a newspaper headline that said, Cleveland Cycle Works is going to build motorcycles in Cleveland and give 1,200 people jobs. And they're buying a building the over of, here. Uh, they got some honey deal with oh, that Oh, yes, building. they did get a honey deal. city of Cleveland like, so right. gave them the building for a dollar. I, I don't know And this idea the was they were going to build these motorcycles in Cleveland, and that was the promise that was made, right. and that they were going to do this, and, and this was going to happen. I, you can find the articles. It's not hard to find. And I'm going to tell you the way I'm going to read to you the way this shakes out. And this is coming from India, the Indian market. 
Cleveland Cycle Works, the U.S.-based two-wheeler company, has ventured into the Indian market with its retro-inspired motorcycles, Ace, Deluxe, and Misfit. The company has set up an assembly plant in Pune with an annual capacity of 35,000 units. <laughs> it has plans for localization and to make India-specific motorcycles. Started in 2009 in Cleveland, Ohio, the two-wheeler company was founded by Scott Colosimo, Jared Stang, and Curtis Ray with the vision to create a motorcycle with the custom feel and easy to customize. CCW has branches in 23 countries. We look at localization in every country we sell our products. One of the hardest aspects of selling in the Indian market is the tariff. This gives us a big strain and we have to push our margin down. This also leads us to invest less in R&D in other areas. Therefore, localization will play a major role. It may not happen immediately, maybe after six months. The absence of motor engine manufacturers here is another big challenge. We have to source them from the U.S., Thailand, or Italy. In India, it is going to be important for us to look at what we can do within our space and not push outside our comfort zone. Okay. You notice he mentioned he's going to have to bring parts in from the U.S., Thailand, and Italy. But he didn't mention a, where they really come from. Right. He conveniently left that out. And why <laughs> this is really important is, in case you guys aren't aware, um, he said the Poon facility might not make the engines for manufacturing a motor. There should be a clean environment and a completely different setup. The current engine, engine manufacturers of CCW have their own space. Isn't that somehow like a racist thing? Like, it should be a clean environment? Uh, Wait, we can't have a clean environment in India? Right. And they do not mix it with chassis or chassis and other components. So this is a big thing. He says, at present, it is mostly Chinese components and a few Japanese components like bearings. There's the one truth in that whole... Well, that wasn't written by him. That wasn't a quote from him, I guess. So oh. anyway, here's what we have. And this is the big deal. And why this is important is in India, and why we're going to talk about this, is there is a difference between a complete knockdown unit and a built-there unit, okay? So the biggest problem that they have in the Indian market is if you bring a vehicle into India and it's not built in India, there's a 110% tariff. Hmm, 110? 110% tariff. Wow. Now, this is this argument we talked about 26 podcasts ago about Harley-Davidson said that they needed to build their factory. They needed to build their motorcycles in India because they were going to sell so many bikes in India. And to eliminate or not have to face down the barrel of that 110% tariff, you build them in India, which <clears throat> creates jobs for Indian people and uses resources in India. Right. Now you've beat the 110% tariff. Because they don't want you taking on... The article that I was reading said, yeah. we're going to take on Royal Enfield in India. Exactly. <laughs> right. Or Kinetic or Hero or anybody. Like, seriously, India knows where their market is. I can. We're going to show you some of their numbers, and they are astronomical for the number of bikes they sell. But what we discussed earlier, a few months ago, was that Harley-Davidson said they were going to build bikes in India to sell them in India, and then they sold 14 bikes. But they sold That's 14 bikes... Right. Exactly. And they made 14,000 bikes. But 14 bikes got sold in India. The rest got exported to America. Damn it. Where they have a market for people who will buy bikes, and now they've got a way to sell people in America bikes that are made in India. And the excuse was great. Well, if we want the Indian market, we have to build them in India. Well, now we have them. What do we do with them? Well, ship them back to America, 
and say that they were built in Kansas. Well, they're not built in Kansas. It's a knockdown unit. A knockdown unit means every government comes up with a certain amount of procedures or a certain amount of assembly that they deem to be necessary to call something made in wherever. Mm. Okay. The article that I was reading that you shared, I think you shared it with everybody. Mm -hmm. It said that, well, only 5% of the manufacture of the bike was actually happening in, in India. So basically, no. they were putting the wheels and the, right. it was basically putting them together, the, I mean, the very last assembly. You if know. you take the, the article as a nutshell, they basically were trying to pull every, like they were trying to bend every rule they possibly could to do what they were doing and sell hipster bikes to people that need them for transportation. Right. And the article I'm reading, I'm showing you guys today, is an article that was written January 23rd of this year. Not 2018, this year, right? Um, that's happening. That that picture, I mean, that article that's right behind you guys, that is literally of January of this friggin' year. And this is a really important thing because when we think about the promises that were made versus what was delivered, mm -hmm. and that's a big, big problem. And when we consider that they could not get, they originally promised to make them there. Which is exactly whoa, which is exactly what happened here. They promised to make them here. They didn't make them here. They never delivered on that. But the press was out there. The news stories, the quotes were making them in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. I've had hundreds of people say, Well, aren't isn't that bike made in Cleveland? No, it's not made in Cleveland. Well, I read that it was made in Cleveland. Yes, the statement at some point was made, we're building these bikes in Cleveland, or we're going to build these bikes Look, in Cleveland. There's no way to cut it. It was a lie. It's a lie. Yeah, right, right. 100%. And and we I, you, you don't have to say that. Right. I'm saying that, right. and, I, and I would say that to the person <laughs> right. who, who owns that company. Exactly. It is a lie, and we've said that, and we have said that to the person who owns that company. So this is a problem that we have when they say, okay, well, you know what we're going to do is we're going to do knockdowns. So here's the, second here's the second tier. If you agree to bring the bike in and you're going to do a knockdown bike where you're going to bring the frame in, but you're going to have a facility that you're going to populate with employees who are going to put the wheels on, they're going to put the wiring harness in, they're going to put the headlights on, and you're doing some work in India, you're employing some people. For that, we're going to lower your tariff to 60%. Now, that's still a viciously high tariff because India wants to protect its motorcycle industry, Okay. Now, it turns out they couldn't even, or it turns out they weren't abiding by the knockdown rule, and they weren't doing that. And in fact, this article about their triumphant launch of this company, right, on January 23rd, well, it turns out by February, by March, they had asked their employees to leave. The people that they had hired to do light assembly or build up of these knockdown units were asked to leave, and if you read the article, it'll it'll talk, walk you back on that. We hired 1,200 people. Exactly. We fired them a month later. And that's really <laughs> the, the terrible thing that happened here. And here's a picture of, um, you know, Mr. Ganesh Naik, Naik Center and the CCW Vashni inauguration with CCW management in September of 2018. They're cutting the fucking ribbon in 2018. Which guys are the CCW guys? Um, I think it's the very white-looking arms in the back holding up the placards because that is the whitest pair of arms in the entire image. Um, I don't see anybody else that is a CCW Which is hilarious because the, 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 back, the backboard yeah. already has a CCW logo. Yes, it does. 
But yeah. two different sets of white arms have to hold up another placard. Another with- placard on top of it, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, this is a very short period of time later. I mean, well less than a year. And in reading down and kind of drilling through this, I guess the biggest thing I'd like to say is you have heard us talk about the low power output of this pushrod 250cc motor. We raced it against a Buddy 125 and the Buddy 125 <laughs> won. Okay. Um, amidst persistent downturn in an auto sector and a slowing economy, Cleveland Cycle Works has discontinued India operations. While an official confirmation is yet to be provided, a report from Express Drives, another publication, said that the company's assembly plant in Pune has not been operational for the last eight months. Uh-oh. The next paragraph, too, really okay. talks about the nail in the coffin. Several which, factors. Which actually popped their balloon before it ever took off. Would you ever. like me to read it? Please. please. Read it, please. I can read it. Uh, several factors seem to be responsible for the Cleveland Cycle Works exit from the Indian market. Primarily among them include the relatively high cost of its motorcycles and the company's inability to comply with new safety norms, such as mandatory ABS. The company was also not able to deal with negative perceptions related to its use of Chinese parts. Now, I'm going to just say... When somebody says to its use of Chinese parts, we've had these motorcycles apart. It is 100%. It's about 100%. Okay, unlike other brands in this segment, such as Royal Enfield, which have a rich history dating back several decades, Cleveland Cycle Works was a relatively unknown brand in the Indian market. The company was launched in 2009 in the United States, and its business model is quite simple. Most of its motorcycles use chassis from other motorcycle makers and low-cost components from Taiwan and China. The choice of engine is usually Honda. Now, um, I can tell you right now that... now uh, Honda has something to say about that. Honda might have something to say about that. Go ahead. I just want to go back to the the mandatory ABS. Yes. So this couldn't have been like an unpublicized thing. Anybody going into this market should have easily been able to know... That the Indian government was going to right. have a mandatory law that said anything right. with 125 Cs or bigger mm-hmm. has to have ABS. No, th- right. That introduces a level of shadiness right there. Like, you, yet you're just going to ignore that and think that you can sell your bikes in this market without ABS. Exactly. You're ignoring the rules in the country in which you're operating. I mean, that's just like either it's, completely you didn't study your you didn't study any you didn't know anything about your market. Taiwan has had mandatory ABS and mandatory traction control for a little while now, and Vespa, when it decided that it was going to sell bikes in that market, had to put traction control on bikes that it did not or would not normally have put traction control on, so that they could sell bikes into that market. Moto Guzzi said that they would not put traction control on the Moto Guzzi Grizzo. And therefore, was unable to sell it in so many markets, they pulled it from the line. So rather than putting traction control on that motorcycle, they just said, we're not going to build it. Because we can't put traction control, or we choose not to put traction control on this motorcycle. Therefore, we're going to, we're going to have another line, or another brand, or another model hit that market. Cleveland Cycle Works had made its debut in India at the 2018 Auto Expo and subsequently launched two motorcycles, the Ace and the Misfit. While the Ace was positioned as a retro modern scrambler, the Misfit derived inspiration from a cafe racer. Both these bikes were imported in India as CKDs, and that's a complete knockdown, okay? Mm -hmm. And assembled at the company's facility in Pune, or Pune. Both bikes utilized a 229cc air-cooled engine that generated a max power of 15.4 horsepower and a max torque of 16 newton meters. Not on our dyno. I will tell you that the numbers we came up with on that bike 
were not 15.4 horsepower. It was 11.1. We came up with 11.1 real wheel horsepower, an actual 11.1. This was, and I like this, this was less than even lower capacity motorcycles, like the Buddy 125. Ace and Misfit were launched at a starting price of uh, 2.23, and that is the, the nicest way to say that in rupees is that it was more expensive than the Royal Enfield Classic 350, which is a homegrown 350 that has ABS and, if I'm not mistaken, has fuel injection. I just, like, I just like how they said that they were going to try to take down Royal Enfield. Yeah, well... Would you have to imagine that in, in India, Royal Enfield is synonymous with, like, Harley Davidson? Of course it is. That if you're an Indian man, yeah. your first choice is a Royal Enfield. I would assume so. I mean... You want to have a Royal Enfield. You'll take other things because you can't afford a Royal Enfield. Or at least a Kinetic because you know you can get parts and service for it anywhere in that country. They built billion, literally hundreds of millions of I mean, of maybe them. you've got gobs of money or something, right. or, and you can buy, afford to buy a Harley or a Honda or something like that. But I would think, like, the bread and butter, the real Indian wants to own and ride a Royal Enfield. Okay, how about this? The company had opened its first dealership in Mumbai and had plans to open 100 more dealerships by 2019. However, with meager sales, the plans failed to materialize. The report says that the employees of the companies were asked to resign at short notice. Now, what, and the final is, if you own an Acer or Misfit, it would be difficult to say how you will get your bike serviced. You will probably have to rely on the expertise of your local mechanic or branded garage shops. That's the end of the story. What I want to bring home on this is there was no strategy. There was no plan. The statement of there will be hundreds of dealers. The statement of we're going to do 35,000 motorcycles. All of these statements had nothing behind it to deliver. Well, how are you going to sell 35,000 motorcycles? Well, we're going to offer a better quality product at a lower price. Well, they did neither, right? What I'm sick of is I'm sick of this charlatan mentality. It goes with current popular culture mm-hmm. where people say things and if they say things or they tweet things, it's true. And I'm really ready for some honesty in what people represent their products to be. I'm very, it's very sad to see a company coming in and saying, we've got these motorcycles, you're going to love them. They've got this price point. They've got this horsepower. They've got this thing. I right now have a bone to pick with SSR because at the AIM show, at the AIM Expo on September 29th, I walked up to their rep and I said, I'm a man who owns a dealership, not a small dealership. You know, it's it's a mom and pop dealership, but we do a good number of bikes. And that fly by night, you've been around for 20 plus 20 years. 20 years, right? Yeah. So, and I said, I want to, I want to sell your product. I'd like to get your product, I'd like to check your product out. I'd like to sell it at my dealership. Do you see any SSR sitting around here right now? You don't. <laughs> no. And I specifically said you I wanted sold them all already. Yeah, sold them all. Um, I wanted to have them in time for Christmas, right? Because right. the mini bike thing. And I was really into this. If you're listening to this, John Bible of SSR, how come I don't have a fucking price sheet? Yet? How come we're not sure what we're doing? We don't. I'm not sure if we have another dealer in your area. No, I. I mean, your dealer map shows where the dealers are. Um. You guys talked a real good game in the booth at AIM. 
You did. Mm-hmm. You told me how your product was better than anything else and how the, they're going to fly off the shelves and it's great and it's a lot of bike for not much money. Well, I'm a dealer and I want to sell your product. I'm telling you that it should, it's, it's embarrassing that I haven't been contacted. I haven't gotten anything. I've gotten nothing in the way of a visit or a prospectus or a price sheet or anything from your company. And you are a company that's representing a Chinese product in the United States. And I'm going to say, if you're going to do that, you need to be fucking better at it than you're being. Well, get used to it, because this is how we're going to deal with you whenever we, you do sell our product. Right. If, if it takes you 30 days, and it's well over 30 days, for you guys to not even get to the point of getting me at least an answer of whether or not you want me to be a dealer, because right now you're only dealers in Akron or Talmadge, what, 45 minutes away. Right. So I... The ten mile rule that Ohio has, you're you're well outside of that. It might be an hour away, actually. <clears throat> Whatever the case, it's kind of. But this is the thing. Here we have an example of a a Cleveland person going into a foreign market and making promises he clearly can't live up to, and the amount of stress it's causing both the people that thought they had a job, and they went home from they went home and said, "Honey, I got a job." I don't like the way they were. It says. They were asked to resign. Yeah. So that would be if I at my job, if they asked, if they all of a sudden walk up to me and said, mm-hmm. "Could you please resign?" That says to me that they're trying to fuck me out of unemployment benefits and like you know what I right. mean. Like, no, I'm not going to resign. I would like to keep my job. You, if you don't want me here, you'll have to fire me or mm-hmm. lay me off. Right. They asked them to resign. <clears throat> right. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's terrible. And I guess what I'm suggesting is I'm sure it felt bad for those guys. I know it felt bad for those guys because it felt bad for me when I've got a product I'd like to sell. I've got a product I think I could sell. And I've got somebody here who hasn't been able to follow through with their statement of, oh, yeah, we're going to make you a dealer. Oh, yeah, you should be a dealer. That's great. And not real happy about that. And that's because... I have to be more careful. I think we all should be more careful when we've got a product that's coming in that is a Chinese product and it's not something that's been able to be tested on the road for the past 15 or 20 years and we can't have examples of it like, oh, well, here's what the bike is called in this market and they've been selling it there for six years and it's been great, so no problem. We're just changing a badge on it, putting our name on it or making it EPA friendly, bringing it to the United States. Um, I think that these guys that are coming into the, the States do have to offer something better than just a rosy image or, you know, oh, you're going to sell a ton of these. It's going to be fantastic. Um, really not not impressed by that and want less and less to bring them into my into my shop because of that behavior. So, yeah, it's a, it's a so weird what's your thing. Posi- what's your position now? Sit back. If they really reach out to you and be like, sorry, Phil, we didn't know. Otherwise, you're Boy, done. a month? I mean... Yeah. What if just like what if it's a maybe it's just a oh he took down your information but it got lost on his clipboard no I've been emailing back and forth oh no Uh-oh. I've been emailing back and forth no no there, this isn't this is not this is not like oh I let the fire get cold no I've been back and forth like the first email said it's been a week dude send me a price sheet well, they've been bumped. and he said well we can't send you a price sheet until we have your commitment as a dealer well, and I went well I'm not going to give you how can I give you a commitment as a dealer if I don't know what your bikes cost. How am I supposed to buy anything when I don't know what it costs? You know what? You should have said, sure, I'll be a dealer. 
Well, and then they said, well, would you be able to sign a $30,000 contract? Would you sign for $30,000 for the product? No. Well, I said, I don't even know what it costs yet. How can I sign for $30,000 for anything? Is it $30,000 for 100 motorcycles? <laughs> Once again, not enough information. It's no, it's no less rotten than when a car manufacturer sells a car that says $99 a month. Right. Well, you haven't given me all the information. So have they just kind of shut the door on you? And said, no, they're, yeah. they're, still, they're still communicating. We're still communicating, and we're still saying, oh, I'm sorry, I've been busy. I haven't been able to get to you. And we're checking our – I'm checking with my – the funny thing was I talked to the rep's boss, and I said, what's the deal? I mean, because I can sign with other companies. I just was wanting to do you guys because of the meeting we had in, you know, at the AIM Expo. And he's like, well, I've got to check with my rep because he's the, he's the area rep, and he'll know what's going on, boots on the ground thing. I went, okay. So last week when I sent the area rep a message, and I said, where the hell are we with this? This is ridiculous. He says, well, I'm going to have to check with my boss. And see where we are in the area. I'm like, look, if you have your honeypot dealership that you wish you had on, you're dangling on the line, or he's playing numbers games with you, just fucking tell me, dude. I'll go, I'll go dance with somebody else. But he doesn't, because have you seen some of the dealerships that carry SSR? They're not you. Well, one, they're, they're not dealerships. Well, yeah, Let's right. clarify. They're, they're garages. They're yeah, they're yeah. Like, it's a bicycle shop that happens to carry a motorized product. Exactly. Usually. Right, so you'd think they'd be like going out of their way and like throwing their dicks across the street to try to get you. It is, and but the way they're behaving is a great way to not get my business. Exactly. So we'll see. And and I've started, and because of this, I by the way, I've looked at some different products that we have some history with in the shop, and I might head that direction. So, but this is going to be the example for you know twenty thousand listeners uh, to see what happens. You know, everyone likes inside baseball. You don't get any more inside than this. I think you should just say yes to them. Yes. Yes. Sure. I'll sort of sign it's up. It's the rule. Yeah. Whatever yes. you want. Yeah, whatever sure. you got, dude. Yeah. Whatever yeah. you got. The funny thing is, send me a, a thirty thousand dollar contract. I want to look at it. I haven't said no yet. <laughs> right? Well, no, yeah. I've never. I haven't said no yet. Right. At you no know. point in anything have I said no. If they do send me a thirty thousand dollar contract, I will look at it. I and that's you know, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> oh, you almost good took out. Daniel's eye yeah, out. Yeah. Seriously, <laughs> Daniel was in some jeopardy there with that one. And you'll be going around picking up all those bottle caps, Mister. You're going to be scattered all over the goddamn place. The Stepping on them, the your bare feet when you come. Has anybody the done any looking into Cheers. the? Uh, has anybody done any looking into the new Indian motor, the Power Plus? I read an article a little bit on it. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. They were being given a lot of credit in the article that I was read, re- yeah. reading for a revolutionary new motor, like off the charts, and I believe it was liquid cooled. <laughs> yeah. Go Liquid figure, cold. huh? American, Go figure. <laughs> American motorcycle. Yeah, it's it almost seems 116 impossible. horsepower or something uh, like that. It it almost seems unlikely that it could that it could be really that. Um, you'll remember that with a hundred dealerships and thirty five thousand. With thirty five thousand produce. Um, <laughs> when I went to buy out an Indian dealership last year, um, the only bikes they had left in their warehouse that weren't sold. Detroit. This was Detroit. Um, though those guys went away like a Three thief years. in the night. Six dealerships: Midwestern Motorcycle something, Midwestern Autom- Motorcycle Group, or whatever. They had six uh, Indian dealerships in the Midwest here, and they all went out of business. The one I went to was a guy up in Plymouth, Michigan, that was not part of that group. Um, he was his own thing. Uh, he was part of the Roush family of or Penske Penske family Penske. of dealers. And he went out of business, and I went up there to buy up everything he had left over from his zero inventory, zero electric motorcycle stuff. 
And I got to see all the inventory he had remaining, which was all the big twins. So Indian had no problem selling scouts, uh, but they had problems selling the big twins. And so this idea of the, uh, the challenger, uh, this, this challenger to the throne, uh, is really a big goddamn deal. And 108 cubic inches, I guess, which is the rule now, they all have to be 108 cubic inches. Well, the new Harley was 114. Yeah, so that's the big uh, Milwaukee 8, because 108 wasn't big enough. They had to do a Milwaukee 118. And this really, I mean, if you look at what this motor is with its 128 foot-pounds of torques and its, you know, 122 horsepowers, this is to give some real oomph to their uh, sagging Roadmaster and Chief line. And this is a real reason to show up and have a motor that doesn't necessarily look like the chrome, you know, vajazzled flathead V8 motor that they had in their previous um, big twins. This is the Thunderstroke 116? No, this is the 108 called the Power Plus. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Power Plus. So this is a big thing, uh, a big introduction into their market. And it's a very, I mean, this is something that we talk about the American market. This is kind of a big deal because there's so much technology in this motor. And it's designed to last a very, very long time. And it's designed to be liquid-cooled and give you a ton of torque and give you a ton of power. And as much as I was teasing about caning the 103 cubic inch Harley as hard as I could and still getting what I would consider to be eh, eh, adequate performance. But it wasn't really blowing my hair back. Um, this is a really, I mean, this is a hell of a machine. So really, really interesting um, drivetrain. And I'm very kind of, kind of impressed by the entire thing. Pretty damned neat. Uh, so that must be like their V-Rod motor because I'm, re I'm looking at this article yeah. here. And it's talking about their Thunderstroke 116, which is a, yep, which, which is, is still an air-cooled motor. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they must have. You well, know. this is a whole new motor for them. Yeah, this yeah. is a ground-up design. So big deal. I mean, it is a big deal. I mean, Harley Davidson still hasn't gone to full liquid cooling on their um, their big twins because even the V Rod was what oil-cooled. Uh, the V Rod was. Yeah, I can't recall. You're, I, you know, you're gonna check me on that because I do not know uh, I'm, shit about. I'm looking it up. Yeah, look it up for me. Um, and then we, I did want to kind of do a little comparative analysis because this particular press launch for this guy got a lot of attention. I mean, Indian is going to get a lot of people stopping in their dealerships to see this monster. And it is, um, it, it's pretty rad. Cooled. What's that? The V-Rod presents an, an entirely new engine. It is liquid cooled. It is liquid Proper radiator. double overhead cams, yeah. four valves per cylinder, okay. one-piece right. crankshaft, and side-by-side yeah. -side connecting rods. Okay. Plain main cool. bearings, gym underbucket, valve lash adjusters. Oh, nice. So nice. this, I think that's what this is, is like a, a V-rod motor. But it, what they were, what they were in the article I was looking at, they were putting it in their touring bikes and stuff like that. Oh, okay. All, all right. right. I'm Great. not wrong. No, that's that's fantastic, man. Dude, I, it's, I think the idea is great. And the funny thing is, Chris Smith and I were talking recently that we're kind of both fantasizing about an F6B, a Honda F6B, which is this, oh man, you know, is it is it a gold wing? No, not really. <clears throat> is it a bagger? No, not really. 
It is absolutely right in, it's like in the no man's land between, you're you're not allowed to hang out with the actual leather conchos and fringe bagger guys. <laughs> no way. But you're also probably not going to be allowed to hang out with the GL1800, right. you know, airbag in the front compartment kind of guys either. <laughs> and it is, it's tough because that bike is, ever since the F6B came out, which is, you know, this is a flat six bagger is what the F6B stands for. Mm-hmm. And it was always a gold wing with a, uh, like a boat tail speedster back end. And they're very fucking cool. And there, there's, there's not much that I don't like about the F6B, except for the fact that its price was something that I couldn't afford to fucking buy. I mean, it's call it what it is. I'm not going to spend over 10 grand on a motorcycle right now. Like I'm still in the 10 grand and less market for any motorcycle I buy. And that's you, a, that you're showing your age though. Right. You're dating yourself because Absolutely. new bikes start at $10,000. Oh, that's why I can't look at new bikes. Yeah. But here but here's the question. What what how much more value do you get over $10,000? Right. Like right now there's such oh. a good used market under 10 grand that like it, it's almost inconceivable to pay more than that. Like I'm, there's nothing. You feel foolish. Yeah, right. Right. When we had that Road Glide Ultra sitting here at the shop forever, that the previous owner had spent thirty-two thousand dollars on, and it was a two thousand and eleven, and in seven years that bike had lost twenty-two thousand dollars of value. It left here at eleven thousand dollars. What a fucking crime to depreciate twenty-two thousand dollars in the first seven years of that bike's life. That's insane. It's crazy. And so when I was looking at all the numbers for the Indian Power Plus engine, I was like, you know, I remember that big Yamaha that they did, and that thing was no slouch. And uh, I know they keep talking about earth-shattering 122 horsepower, and I was like, ah, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty goddamn sure that the Yamaha had the same numbers. It did. And it has for a while. Um, and it's one of those marketing things where the Indian says, you know, it's the most powerful V-twin engine we've ever built. We've, we've ever built. <laughs> or the most powerful engine you could ever get in this black crinkle coat finish. Right? Um, in an Indian. In an Indian. Or the most powerful American-made engine ever produced. Whatever. But I did some looking, yeah. and and it is uh, it is pretty funny that... The the Yamaha Eluder is Star, star Eluder. The Star this yeah, is just their the anal, anal thing. Is it <laughs> Finally, a bike that wins the Eluder, the anal game, because it actually eludes getting the anal. Shout out to the Norco guys because they did a whole thing about uh, the anal game. Mm-hmm. So this is a new addition to that. And we do love the anal game around here. Yeah, right. But this is the one that got away. Yeah, right. Because it is the anal Eluder, and <laughs> and I do. Um, the the tail lights on the back of this Buick, I mean this Yamaha. Uh, <laughs> if you do look at the tail lights on this, it does look like it's taken off of a Buhan. early '60s T-Bird. Um, there is there is not a lot of uh, space age technology in that. And if you look at the front end of the thing, the front end of the thing looks like a giant whale that just ate a '59 Buick. Uh, because it has the V-shaped headlight configuration that you're familiar with on that, and uh, wow, yeah, it's it does have the Yamaha hints, the uh, 
the gray one actually comes in an R1 shade of gray, <laughs> uh, the titanium. So it's really, it's kind of a cool bike. And I was, uh, I was pretty, pretty impressed by it as a whole and kind of, uh, kind of spent some time looking at it. And I can't, it's still not pulled me away from the F6 bagger because the F6B definitely has a, a bit of a different look to it. And I will pull up an F6B. Um, Chris sent me a particularly tantalizing looking one uh, that was, uh, where was that bike listed? Virginia? Yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah. And uh, in a very fetching shade of black and yellow. Like, because most of the ones I've seen so far have been a solo, a solid color. You mean Steelers color? Yeah. Real steel, like Columbus crew colors. Mm. Uh, Mostly yellow. Be loyal. Yeah. Be loyal. The, uh, yeah, it's a good looking bike. And the way they split the color between the black and the yellow, um, it does look, look real good. The, uh, very, very nice. The, and it did, you said 10495. Yeah. So just on a whim, I contacted the dealer as just Joe off the street. <clears throat> and I said, if I show up down there at your dealership with 10,000 green folding American dollars. Freedom units. Thank you. <laughs> is there any chance that I will leave there on that motorcycle? And he said, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, in October? He said, oh, yeah. Oh, are we going to open another bottle? Yep. Oh, oh, there we go. Man, you're good at that. Cramp, you did get hit Holy in the head on that shit. one. <laughs> yeah, he did. He actually got he got some friendly fire on that one. <laughs> I was trying to like hope it would pop in my dip, but didn't. Oh, man. Daniel uh, wore a bulletproof vest, but not a helmet. So that's exactly <laughs> it. Uh, so the dealer said, oh, yeah. The dealer was so funny because the dealer very much said, I'll have it gassed up and waiting. Yeah, uh, free tank again. There was no. This, is a man, this is, sounds like you. Oh, I love this guy. Yeah, I spoke with him on the phone, and and he was uh, he was a highly motivated seller, and he had the bike listed on Cycle Trader, so he wasn't like he was trying to hide it or anything. And um, you know, sometimes we always joke when we go to we go to Mid Ohio, we go to an event, and we're like, "All right, my unicorn bike of this weekend is going to be something I know I won't be able to find. It's right. going to be a whatever." Right, I want a blue Superhawk, and that's all I'm going to buy is a blue Superhawk. And then you get down there, and you see three of them in the first hour you're there. <laughs> and you're like, well, there goes that, right? And then you wait, and you play the long game, and you get a blue Superhawk. Right. And it sits around and everything, <laughs> and you turn around and sell it, and you never even <laughs> rode it. Never even rode it. Or you yep. get a, a, I see a, one of these in your future. True. We can talk about that later. We're going to talk about that. Absolutely. So I call on this, uh, this 2014 uh, uh, bike. And well, that's it. That's the it. color scheme. Yeah. yeah, that's the color scheme. Yeah, that's the that's color a little scheme. bit bumblebee to me. It is very bumblebee. Yeah, it is really bumblebee. No, but seeing the new since we were at AIM and you know we sat and we all slobbered over the new Goldwing. Yes, we did. So what? What's the like? How's the balance being? It's totally different. Uh, so I do have to give give props to where props is designed to be given. Uh, the new Goldwing and this bike do not have a lot in common. Right. That's I mean, what I was kind of getting at. Um, it's a different animal. Now the engine. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's about it. But like, you know, the drivetrain and stuff, and you know, the 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 riding feel. I've only ridden this short distance from a customer's bike we had here that you know I had to take it out for a three mile test ride. That was about it. Um, but this is a bike that we did just talk about the Yamaha Eluder and the <laughs> anal Eluder, <laughs> the Eluber. 
The uh, the anally luber is twenty three thousand bucks, right? Oh, it has the auto Ooh. chain luber. Yeah, <laughs> on the aluber. And back in two thousand and fourteen, year of our Lord, the base model Goldwing also sold for twenty four thousand bucks, and this F six B sold for twenty one thousand bucks, right? So about three thousand dollars less between an actual Goldwing and the you know rowdier little brother or rowdier uh, cousin, the F six B. So. Here's another example of a bike that's only, what, five years old, six years old, having lost half of its value. But that's normal, though, really, isn't it? I don't it? know if it is, man. If you buy a car, you take it off the lot. It's worth half its value in two years. Yeah, I guess, but that hurts real bad when you think, like, does that mean my $32,000 new pickup truck is worth $16,000 five years later? Fuck, that hurts, and man. NPR just yes, did a, NPR it, it just, does hurt. <laughs> oh, it hurts. NPR just did a whole story today how people are buying more expensive cars, but it's direct, directly related to the fact that they're offering seven- to eight-year loans yes. on a car now. Yeah, you're, you, because people do buy, and they buy based on the monthly payment well, because they're it. all fucking idiots. Well, it's, it's yeah. the millennium factor kicking yeah. in because people don't think about total cost to think about monthly cost. You right. said millennium. Millennium, whatever. I don't know. What I, it's you know, the millennium you know what force. But the, the thing is, is that like, so they, they, they broke it all down and they said, if you take a seven or eight year loan on a car, you're paying like $7,000 extra just for yeah, that. Yeah, I write those contracts every fucking day. Well, that's yeah, like, yeah. you know, when people buy RVs and stuff, they take out these like mortgages on them. Right. Because yeah. it's such a high dollar amount. RVs are a 30 year loan. And it's such a thing that you can't use every day. So they... The way they have to finance them is almost like a mortgage. It's like right. a ten-year loan on your hundred-thousand-dollar RV. They're saying that people after five years are turning cars in, and they're rolling over up to seventy-five hundred dollars. They're underwater on most cars, seventy-five hundred dollars, oh. or they get repoed. Ouch! Yeah. Right. All right. So, Phil, when are we going down to Virginia to get this? Oh, I. Uh, well, the problem is, like I said, I set. I want to go. I, I set my sights yeah. too too easy. We weren't supposed to accomplish this goal in like fucking five days or whatever since we talked about it. <laughs> we spoke about it on a Monday, and on a Wednesday, he shoots me over this link. He's like, hey, guess what, dumb shit? Here it is. Here it is. The guy and the thing is, I said yellow. I was like, I don't want a black one. I don't want a red one. I don't want a blue one. I want a yellow one. He didn't send me a picture of a yellow one or a blue one. He sent me a picture of a yellow one. Chris said, hold my beer. I yeah, got this for no you. no shit. <laughs> he cut you Fucking off in the hell, past quick. Yeah, he did. <laughs> because I want to borrow it. Because he wants to borrow it. <laughs> I see this situation where it's like, oh, the, you know, the bike share. So it's like, oh, you want to take the Vulcan out? You want to take the Drifter? Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll take the Bagger. That's fine. Yeah, and it'll just be a, it'll be a complete and total bike share syndrome. By the way, yeah. you said Bagger again. Yeah. And I really love the picture that you got with the, the Harley in front of the gravestone that says... Bagger. Bagger. Yeah, there, our local funeral, our, our local cemetery over here, happens to just happens to have a giant... Stone, a giant headstone. The Bagger family. The Bagger family, and it just says fucking Bagger on it. And it looks great to have a Harley parked in front of it. That is a Bagger. But I wonder yeah. what, how they got the family name in the original place. Oh, they, right? They yeah. were Baggers. Yeah. Well, what did they bag? What did they bag? <laughs> well, they had this job at the grocery store, and they were really fucking good at it. They were Baggers. <laughs> yeah. Three the generations. The Three generations. Nothing but Baggers. That's, that's how we do. And it, yeah, that's... Um, it, that's it's a really so that that quest didn't last long enough, uh, yeah. You're not used to guess like you were meant to like a little foreplay, back yeah. and forth. Oh, I thought we'd play around a little bit. Yeah, like maybe like, you know. Oh, come on, get him down here. Give yeah. me your money. Give me I your really, money. I really thought that it was going to be like. And then that's when the Irish 
<laughs> part of you kicked in. You're like, yeah, it was wait, like, wait, it wait, can't wait, be. Wait, 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 I can't just like. It can't be that easy. There's just no way it could be that easy. And it turns out it was kind of that easy. And but I am willing to, you know, I don't have to have this bike today because again, if it doesn't come with snow tires, sorry, Chris. Um, yeah, if it doesn't come with snow tires, here we are. The uh, but yeah, it's a. Uh, it's interesting, but I do I do see a time in the not too deep future where there's going to be one of those here. I heard this you're having really a fire sale before winter. We are going to do. There is going to be a crazy crazy fire sale. So there there will be. A, we always do that. We always do a super secret sale that's the least guarded secret in the history of motorcycle sales. But yeah, there's about twelve bikes in this room with us that I just <coughs> don't want to own through the winter. So we're gonna we're, we're gonna, gonna have move to them look on. at them. What's that? You're gonna have to look at them. Yeah, I don't want to look at them. I don't, and I also don't want them. over them. And I don't want them to get a year older, because there some motorcycles once they get to a certain age, being a year older doesn't hurt them one bit. But other motorcycles are still at an age where being a year older hurts them a lot. Yeah, the newer they are. Right. So you get a five-year-old bike. It's not great when it's a six-year-old bike. You get a three-year-old bike or a two-year-old bike. That could just be a leftover. But when it's a four-year-old bike, there's no chance it's a leftover. That's just unfucking loved. It's a you know? <laughs> That's a bike nobody wanted nobody to buy. Nobody wanted. Right. <laughs> and that's what it comes to. When you see our CTX that sits back there, and it's a 2017 with no miles on it. I mean, actually, no miles on it. You go, oh, it's just a leftover. Right? Do people know that that's a manual clutch? Yeah, it's a six-speed. You yeah. gotta really like tell people. That's what people people think. That a lot of those are the DCTs or the automatics. Right. right. Yeah. That's an actual clutch. That's. That's a good but one. But there's a guy out there. There's somebody out there that wants that bike. Uh, every All right, I got a question for yeah, you. Go ahead. Just, to, just to price something. Sure. Out. 2014, California, Moto Guzzi, California. Right. With the Moto Guzzi top box. Yeah. What's that value? Would you guess? It's almost impossible I'm to tell. I'm telling you, if, if you give it to me. Well, we all know it, it hit the market. It hit the market, give or take, $16,000. So 8800 I'm trying to negotiate here. <laughs> I don't even you know what I don't even I don't even want to try to weigh in on that because I know that I know where there are a whack of them sitting still in the crates with zero miles on them. And I keep waiting for them to like release the hounds on these bikes, but the point is they're not. They've got them up, they've got them up listed where only Piaggio dealers and Motoguzzi dealers can get to them. The public hasn't been invited to participate yet. But they're not even, even they are not willing to. They're not doing it because they're already dealing with the guys. Here, let's, oh, interesting conundrum. Oh. The guys who have access to the product and could buy a brand new bike for $8,000 in the crate can't buy the $8,000 bike in the crate because they got the $16,000 bike on the floor they haven't sold yet. Mm. And as much as if they bought the $8,000 bike in the crate, they could cost average these two bikes against each other and say that, okay, well, I paid eight for this one. I paid 14 for that one. So between the two of them now, I I've spent about 11000 I won. I lost. And then I broke even. And that is that idea of cost averaging would mean that they'd be at 11000 for each bike. They'd still have to sell 11000 They'd still have to get 11000 for each bike. And the problem is you can't get 11000 for each bike when people are selling them for 8800 You might get 800 for each bike or 8000 for each bike, but that's what you paid for bike number two. It's not what you paid for bike number one. So how about I go to one of these Moto Guzzi dealerships. I say, hey, I'm a good friend of yours. I used to sell Moto Guzzi's. Yep. <clears throat> uh, let's do a straw purchase. You, right. go, you buy them. 
I get them. They go away. No. You know what the first thing he's going to tell you is? John, I love everything you're saying. Now make that three-year-old $15,000 bike I got on my floor. That's the first one you got to buy. Oop. Right? That's the cost of admission. <laughs> you want to be my straw buyer? That's great. Let me let me see how big your dick is. Buy that bike that I'll I got $14,000 for that bike right now. Why would I take it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> why would I why do I feel like losing $3,000 today when I've already paid it for it. There's no interest Let's coming in on it. Let's have another beer and I know. talk about this. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, right? Yes. Hold Mid-O- on. Let me get my eluder. That's, Mid- uh, that's Mid-Ohio I'm Phil. I'm trying. I know. I mean, yeah. I'm pulling that's, out the stuff. That's Mid-Ohio Phil buying a Moto Compo. Look, I'll be right. back. <laughs> I got to go, go talk to my wife and see if I can do this. Oh, ouch. Um, and then when we did, uh, that's that thing. And it's a really, really tough thing because right now, those bikes haven't hit the streets yet because there's no motivation for the guys who have access, the guys who are legally allowed to buy those bikes. There's very little motivation for them to buy those bikes when they have ones on the floor. They're not shrewd enough. You would have bought those up. You Again, I gave up the franchise because <laughs> that tasty treat wasn't worth the bitter pill. Right? Yep. Right? So let's look up at the board real quick. I just brought this up for Chris because so I thought ha- it'd wait, be fun. So here's the, here's the end play. Yeah. You have to call up Moto. You have to call, buy those $8,000 bikes. Right. The next day, I call Moto Guzzi and tell him to come pick up all the ones well, on your floor. <clears throat> how's about this? How terrible would it be if you happen to be one of the remaining Moto Guzzi dealers? You've got three or four bikes on your floor that you spent $14,000 each for. Mm. you got three or four of them sitting there. And what happens if Piaggio gets tired of making those bikes only available to dealers and decides to flip the switch to public. <clears throat> and now the public is buying these things at $9,000 a piece or $8,000 a piece. Because they will eventually. Yeah, they they're, will. They're, they're, at some point, they right? got to get sold. They got to get sold, right? So at some point, they got to get sold. And when that happens, how are you going to stay in business as a dealer when you got $36,000 worth of inventory sitting on your floor, but you're price competing against 10, 15, 000. 20, or 30,000 bikes that are only $8,000 a piece. When you can't. That, you can't. You can't, and that's the problem. And that's when a situation gets wildly out of control, and it's very good to not be holding the keys to that ship when it does that. So look up at our screen. We've got 2013 um, uh, F6B, and this is, I can't tell whether it's black or Oldsmobile or Burgundy. No, it's black. For ten nine ninety nine, right? Um, like a semi-gloss. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's ten nine ninety nine. There's an 18, and this is that. This is another one of those things. I'd hate to be the dealer because technically it's a new bike, right? Right. It's only got 18 miles, but as you can see, this dealer has taken a bath of over two thousand dollars on this bike, right? So he's lost at least two grand on that machine, eighteen five, right? His it's, hemorrhoids are hanging out of his ass right now. <laughs> got it, right? Um, yeah, that's it. And he's not going to get any extra F and I on that deal, whatever. So uh, he got he got effed, not the eye. Right. Well, but here's one for only nine grand, but it's got forty nine thousand miles on it. So, just getting broken yeah. in. Just getting broken in. Exactly. Um, I don't know how that got in there. <laughs> a, a Honda Helix CN two fifty with a sidecar with a tow pack conversion. So that is actually a four wheeled scooter now, with some horrible Chinese boxes on it. Um, final price reduction of $2,000. If it does not sell at $2,000, the Helix will be donated for the tax deduction. That person does not understand how tax deductions work. Um, 
he needs to talk to his accountant. That is not how it works. The yeah. uh, you're going to give up a two thousand dollar motorcycle and get about a two hundred dollar tax credit. Exactly. Yeah, that's about the exchange rate on those. Here's another one, 2016 Honda in that uh, titanium color for 13 grand. But I told Chris, I told him, man, I was like 10 grand, and it's got to be yellow. And he manifested one like like oh, what that. What was that go down? That was a um, yeah. So in Cycle Trader does a dick thing, and it's like you type in, I want to look at F6 baggers only, yeah, only. Yeah. And what do they show you? They show everything you everything they decide they want to show you. 2018 Honda CB300 F base. They show you all the sponsored things first, and. Uh, it's not sponsored. No, no sponsoring. No, it's not. Do you know you why? Can't it's, buy your way to the top. Do you know why it's where it's? You know why it's where it is? Nope. Those are dealer bikes. Mm. Yeah, those are dealer bikes. And even though I specifically said I just wanted to look by private sellers. Anytime anything is free, you've given up all control. Right. If we would have agreed as a culture to pay five dollars a month for internet access. Fifteen years ago, and we would have made the internet a pay-to-play thing, we would have been free from advertisement. Now, how much? No, you wouldn't. Well, again, that was the original plan. The original plan was you make it a pay service. Like cable TV. The people who pay. With no commercials on cable TV. Right. And guess what? Certain channels. Exactly. And that's what it comes down to. And it is, and you're right. Cable TV did become deceptive. Yeah. Go ahead. So look, your Yamaha uh, uh, Star Venture's up there, too. Yeah, it sure is. (laughs) Right? That's the, and that Star Venture's not the eluder. The Star Venture, the Star Venture is the gold wing. Yeah. Two, the F6B is the eluder. Yeah. And that's that's exactly what it is, too. And so, anyway, that, that was kind of our... We were having some fun with the, the F6Bs of the world. Um, while we're running along here, winterization. Winterization. Mm. Winterization. Uh, I did want to read... We had a... Um, very rarely do we ever read uh, emails from any of our... Our people, uh, <laughs> any of our Patreon, so don't bother uh, any of our patrons. Anything. Well, that and I think they've learned that they don't. We read them, but sure. they don't read them on the air. Mm. Bumbleberry, it is. Uh, yeah, hold oh, on. We're okay. not going to do it. We're okay. going to do a very slow out. Oh, very nice. Oh, all right. well done. Yeah. Okay, we got it. That so, popped nicely. I'm sure that yeah. blew it all into the red all over the fucking yep. plate. Okay. Hey, Phil. On your last podcast, you guys mentioned not to use stable, as there are problems. But then the problems were not mentioned. Can you explain this issue behind, besides just saying don't use it? Simple. I'm a little thing. concerned since I use stable in my own bikes, and so do my Ohio and Alaska buddies who store their bikes down here with me. Ken in Phoenix. Hmm. Well, Ken in Phoenix, first things first. Sleepy found a link to a dude on a YouTube channel mm-hmm. that took... Gasoline, ethanol gasoline, 89 octane non-ethanol gasoline, boat gas, and then put stable in one and put something else in another. And he took a bunch of carburetor parts, parts that you would find in a carburetor, the brass emulsion tube, the actual, uh, go ahead. It's, It's Project Farm is the name of the guy that does it. Okay. And the, the, the video is actually called, Does Fuel Stabilizer Prevent Ethanol Damage? Let's Find Out. Bingo. There you go. Uh, fantastic. He's done all the heavy lifting for us. Go there. Do that. Watch that. Don't take the word of people who've been doing motorcycles for well over 30 years sitting in this room. Um, watch a YouTube video because that's where the facts are. So um, 
I offer that for support of our statement that we made earlier. The reason we say not to use stable is because stable was there to fight a problem that has nothing to do with the ethanol. So the ethanol is a totally different channel of problem. The ethanol's problem is predominantly due to water ingress. Uh, The hygroscopic effect of ethanol being that it does pull moisture out of everything. And it puts it where you don't want it to be. It's no different than if you drained your carburetors and filled them with water. If you wanted to get the ethanol out of fuel, you'd add water to the fuel. You'd add water to it. And then siphon off the fuel off the top. Right. And this is, and the reason that we have problems with stable is that we have customers who come in and say, you know, when we're doing their intake sheet, okay, well, what's not going on with your bike? Well, you know, I haven't been able to ride my bike for two years because, uh, you know, I had a hemorrhoid pop and I couldn't ride my bike. So I bike's been laid up for two years, but it's okay. Don't worry. The repair is going to be cheap because despite it's not running condition now, after me putting a new battery in it, putting fresh gas in the tank and worshiping a, you know, a deity and sacrificing a chicken, the repair is going to be simple and inexpensive because I put stable in the gas tank before I parked it. One, customers, when they're dropping bikes off for service, will always give you a list of all the things they've done to that bike that will make this repair cheaper than it should be. Mm-hmm. I'm not a bad parent. I'm not a bad dad. <laughs> exactly. I've done everything to protect my child, which is now currently broken. And now I need you to help me fix it. But do it cheaply because I've done everything in my power to make it less painful. When I knew... Two years ago, I wouldn't be writing this for two years. Or whatever. Sometimes it's bullshit if you ask Dr. House. Now, it's every single time we hear that story about stable, what we always find is a lacquer-type varnish inside the float bowl of these motorcycles. It is almost... It is either green... And sometimes I have seen an orangish tint to it, like an old green Honda CB350 gas tank that's been left in the sun too long, and they go from being a green color to an orange color. That's the color of the crystals or the crap I see in the float bowls when somebody specifically says they've added Stable. Now, is it a coincidence that the Stable product is red in color? Mm. I think not. I cannot attribute that chemical or that creosote or their grit or grime or whatever's in there to anything other than the stable, other than I know the stable was there. But it makes sense. But it makes sense. Because right? if you put it in the gas and the gas gets into your carburetor. You got and it. And then it eventually gets old and stale. Right. Well, so is the, the stable's getting old and stale in there, too. That's exactly right. So, I, But one of, the, one of the things that the guy talked about in the video is that bikes made after a certain time, or not bikes, but motors made after a certain time. Yeah are made to accept ethanol. So a lot of your fuel-injected bikes and stuff like that, like their seals and stuff won't Mm -hmm. go as bad. So is there like a cutoff where like the bikes have started to be made for the gas that we actually have right now? I think there is. And I'm going to tell you that I think it's different manufacturers. And it seems to be about 2009, 2010, 
uh, that we've seen that the bikes seem to be able to store better. Oh, and let's let's yeah. let's clarify that this is just fuel injected bikes. So Correct. If you're buying something with a carburetor, yeah. this does not apply. It, do, it doesn't apply. Right. right. It doesn't apply. But I think that 2009, 2010 is when we've seen that kind of like, oh, check it out. It's a modern bike. Mm -hmm. The ethanol doesn't really seem to fuck it up too much. Mm -hmm. um, or you can just get away with it better. I think manufacturers have had to react to the American addition of ethanol. And I don't, I can't quote you exactly as when ethanol became de rigueur and it was like, oh, well, it's 10% ethanol in every gallon of gas you buy mm -hmm. across this great land of ours. So I can't tell you exactly when that happened, but I can tell you that it's, uh, it is a fucking problem. Mm -hmm. So that's a big, big thing. Uh, so you, thanks. Go ahead. You were just, you know, we were talking about the winter weather and everything. So yeah. I, of course, went and fired up my snowmobile. Snowmobile blower. Yes. <laughs> but one of the little things about the snowblower mm -hmm. that I love is that it has a tickler on it. Mm -hmm. It has a spring-loaded little tickler on the float bowl. Right. So when you go to fire up the snowblower, the first thing you do is hit that. Drain that fucker out. Drain all. And you can either, well, yep. I usually do it at the end of the season. Turn the fuel yep. off. Turn the fuel hit off. Hit that thing. Psh, all yep. the f Dump all the fuel yep. right out of the float bowl with you one little it. fuck you. Yep. And you're good. Yeah. Absolutely. Nope. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's the if problem. you forgot to do that, uh -huh. then you turn the fuel on, you hit the fuck you button, right? Let it run some fuel through it, and absolutely, it's, it's still good. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. Never it, have to clean that car. Really. That that little amount of that that little <laughs> presence of thought, and we were joking. We were looking at some carburetors recently to replace um, one of the companies that we work with. The carburetors on these bikes, they're getting to be 13, 14 years old, and they're just not replaceable anymore. The insides have collapsed, and we're looking for other suppliers because it's about a $300 carburetor, and it's just too much money to be chucking these things at every bike that comes in. So we're looking at these you know, different companies that manufacture different carbs. The one carb I found that I loved had a remote, a literal remote float drain. Yeah. So it was about a 12-inch long hose that had a Phillips or a flathead screw on the end of it, and you'd turn that screw, and that screw could be anywhere a foot away from your carburetor, easy to get to. And then when you put this thing up for the winter, simply back the screw off, drains the float bowl, oh, you're done. A lot of the yeah. China bikes had yeah. some of that kind of stuff going on. Really but hilarious. But that's the weak point is because yeah. that hose disintegrates. The hose fails. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You, you go to start the bike, and the vacuum petcock opens up, Dumps fuel into the carburetor oh, onto the floor. <laughs> so uh, thanks to Ken and Phoenix, that was your that was your thing. I hope we answered your question for you. Um, you want to you cheers to Ken. Come on, cheers Let's Ken. Everybody, exactly. everybody, come on. Yeah. 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 Well done, Ken. Good job, dink, Ken. Dink, dink. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, um, audio experience has been enhanced dink. in full 3D. The um, yeah, Startron for your ethanol problems. We know Startron works. Um, it seems as though I'm. No See? gas in your car works really good. No great. gas mm -hmm. is fantastic. No gas and give the her fuel a Fuel waters, run it till it runs out of That's gas. Shut your fuel off and run yeah. it, run so it, So what about it. people that think that not having gas in their car is going to dry out their seals? It will. And that's why I love Handyman Secret Weapon WD-40. If you're poor, if you're fancy, you can use Croil. Mm -hmm. And if you're not so fancy, you can use ACF-50. Right. Right? So these products all work, and they work great for moistening Things. and keeping your, right. keeping your rubber rubbery. And none of them will harm your rubber. They're all going to keep your rubber um, supple. Supple. And they're all exactly. they're all runnable through the motor. Absolutely, right? Right. every single one of them. If you can pinch off your fuel line, and as the bike's getting ready to die, just fog the shit out of the intake. You know, pull your air filter out of the way, and hit hit the intake stream 
with something, any of those products, you're going to end up storing the bike very well. And if you can get some of that into your float bowl, it's going to be even better. And then you open up the gas tank of your bike and spray some of that shit in your gas tank. Ride it's, your bike, too. Ain't rocket to, science. Ride your bike up to the last moment. Try mm-hmm. to cut your downtime down to just a few yeah. months. Yeah, it's true. If you're still running and riding your bike into November, right. and yep. you're only shutting her down for yep. December, January, February, March. Mm-hmm. Right? So I have, I have a tip for uh, people that uh, live in, in, in humid climates, say Ohio or any of this area that's hitting winter now. Mm-hmm. A lot of people put their bikes in their garage, and they put a cover on them. Mm-hmm. Now... What's the consensus of that? Is it Not better good. to rust or dust? It, it is plastic covers, mm-hmm. anything that traps the air around the bike is a problem. And we have a bike in here. There's a Yamaha R1 in the room with us. And it is the best example I've ever seen of a bike that was put away in a beautiful condition. Mm-hmm. And now every fastener that wasn't you know, anything that was zinced, mm-hmm. right, is looking pretty bad. So anything that wasn't powder coated, anything that wasn't stainless steel, anything that wasn't, the aluminum is all pitted. It looks like shit. This bike's got maybe 4,000 miles on it, and it's a gorgeous R1, except for whoever parked it. They parked it, locked it, and left it, but they put it in like a bike baggie. Right. I mean, it wasn't a bike baggy brand, but they took a nice heavy tarp, a good quality waterproof tarp, and they put it over the bike, and they pulled the sides down, and they created a greenhouse around their bike. All the best intentions. Which which sounds great in mm-hmm. theory, yeah. but if, you're, if your garage is not climate controlled, it is not staying at a, a specific temperature where moisture is not going to yeah. happen... You're creating basically like an ecosystem of water, and like every time it gets super cold, it's gonna freeze, and yep. it's gonna. So yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. It's the worst thing. You so can you're do. gonna go to, uh, you're gonna go to the local thrift store. You're gonna go to the local Goodyear or Goodwill. You're gonna go to see your friends at the Salvation Army, and believe it or not, they sell blankets and tablecloths, mm-hmm. crazy cheap, like three bucks a piece. If you yourself don't have some nasty blankets and tablecloths and shit and sheets at your house that you shouldn't be using anymore, relegate them to the garage. If you do not have access to fluid film, which is kind of magical, um, you can get WD-40, you can get Croil, and you can even use vegetable oil. Or ACF-50. Or ACF-50. These are all things that work and have been proven to work. I have even talked to a customer who used Pledge. The old-fashioned, mm-hmm. old-timey pledge. The idea behind it is you're going to put the blanket over the bike. The blanket is, of course, you can breathe through the blanket. The blanket's going to keep the dust and the, cr- and the things that can scratch your paint. It's also going to keep the cats and the raccoons mm-hmm. and everybody else from... UV. Absolutely. If you have a window if you in have your a window, garage or wherever you're storing. Exactly. Make sure the bike's well, covered. We've all seen the two-shaded oh, yeah. orange buddy. That's right. It's yellow on one side, orange on the other. <clears throat> but if that the, next material the cannot breathe, right. it's going to hold the moisture. You got it. It's a greenhouse. It's a cycle. It's, yeah. right. it's a greenhouse. So spraying the bike down, the parts that you are worried about, especially if you have a car coming and going out of the garage and the car is going to be covered with salt, mm-hmm. you really got to spend some attention then. It would be a really, really good idea if you could to get that bike into some kind of, and I hate to say like a kitty a cat litter tray or something like that, 
but it's not the worst idea to get the bike on a center stand. And if you don't have a center stand, you can make a center stand or you can buy one at Harbor Freight. Um, center stands aren't exactly high tech. I made one out of wood. Kevin Rosman made one out of wood using about six tubifores that were about two feet long, and he just nailed them together. So it was like a great wall of two-by-fours. Why is it so important to get it on a center stand? Because two things. One, depending on your tire brand, we have seen some tire brands that will flat spot in less than 90 days, where the tire itself from sitting, the weight of the motorcycle sitting on the tire will create a flat spot on that tire in a very, very short period of time. If in your car you like to run, you know, Toyota tires or uh, Nokia's, or they're specifically say on there, do not store your tire for longer than 30 days without moving the car around and moving the tire because they flat spot like a son of a bitch. Mm -hmm. And motorcycle tires are the exact same way. Also, it's a good idea to get your bike on center stand to make sure all the lubricants in your bike aren't all to one side of the bike. And thereby, if you have a BMW especially, a boxer motor, you're going to have all this um, hydraulic pressure of the oil or the moisture that's in the motor is all leaning one direction. And that will put sort of uneven coating on one side of the motor, but worse, you're going to get some seepage. And when you go to start that motorcycle up in the springtime, your left pipe is going to be belching smoke. Well, these yeah. seals on this side will right. be totally dry. Seals on this seals side Seals on that side will be wet. Under, exactly. I'm going to open a, a, a box of clams right now. Yeah, yeah. So, Phil, I don't need to do any of this because I started and ran my bike for five minutes every month. Right. And again, five minutes is not enough right. by any standards. If you are going to be the guy that is a ritual, I'm going to go out there every three weeks. I'm going to start my motorcycle. I'm going to run it, and that's going to make it perfect. Well, first of all, don't let it idle. Because that causes a whole fucking load of problems. Didn't were you you told me a story once yeah. about a car mm-hmm. that was idled mm-hmm. every month or mm-hmm. whatever for years. Yep. And it had the whole motor was horribly damaged. Destroyed. Absolutely useless. Right. I have some at anything comments, but an idle. I have some comments about <laughs> your storage space. Yeah. And it depends a little bit. Here's a, a good tip with your storage space. Mm-hmm. If you have the opportunity to have a place where you can put your bike in a closed space completely enclosed, relatively low airflow, mm-hmm. not open to the atmosphere too much, yeah. you are way better off because, yeah. like, Bruce has his garage down there yep. where he kept a Packard for 40 years. 40 fucking years. And it never rusted mm-hmm. at all. His bike, his chopper, yep. and everything, like, all of his shit stays really nice. Yep. You know why? Because yeah. it's down there. Yep. The door's never Nobody open Nobody goes up. in it. It's undisturbed. Yeah. It's in the shade. Yeah. It remains, it's just in stasis. And it's a barn. So it's, it's a, just all of this... Moisture absorbing wood around it, yeah, and like straw and hay and shit. No, the, and, and there no moisture gets in. All good, exactly, all the windows are good. Yep. The roof is good. There's yeah. not a lot of airflow. Through no, there, there isn't. So if there's a temperature change a or a humi- catacomb, if it gets warm yeah. and the humidity shoots up, right. it's, it stays cold in there for mm-hmm. a long time. A long it takes time. a long time before yeah. it adjusts, and well, so it mm-hmm. doesn't get that that that. that you, you just hit a huge point. If your garage temperature changes rapidly, like you said, a car pulling in or well, something like that. Well, you open like the that. door. That's right. the biggest thing. Door. Because yeah. if, if it can naturally just go from freezing to unfreezing mm-hmm. and things over a long period of time, you're right. going to do way less damage. If, like, a car comes in that's hot and just, you know, everything gets <laughs> sloppy and wet and just whatever. You know. That's the worst thing is where, it, you know, it was 30 degrees last night, but it goes up to 70 degrees today, mm-hmm. and it's warm and humid, and you open up your garage door. Yep. And literally, my floor in my garage will get soaking wet. 
right. sure. Because it's just it's ice cold and it's everything is condensing. I bought a '71 Super Beetle from this old woman in Parma. Gorgeous car, crankback moonroof, everything you'd ever want. British racing green. It was like the dream Super Beetle. <clears throat> but she lived in an apartment building in Parma, and there was the you know that community parking that you get in an apartment building. So you're they're parking under the facility, mm. and. So she had the spot next to the wall because she'd been there since Christ was a private. And she had the wall spot, which is great. And she'd park the car carefully along the wall so it gave her the maximum amount of space so the neighbor's car door wouldn't ding it. However, since 1971 till about 1990 when I bought this Beetle, it had only traveled about 20,000 miles. So it spent a lot of time in that garage. And she did get... Factory. She got her Volkswagen service done every year, and the car had been maintained beautifully. But the car that pulled in next to her over the course of that, you know, 20-some-odd years, well, it brought salt in with it every time it came in. And it would sit there, and it was ice cold when it came in, but this was a garage that was warm because it was under the apartment building. The whole right side of that, that Beetle, from... The center tunnel, where all of your shifting mechanism and everything is, to the right, was rotted out. J-channel, heater boxes, heater channels on the floor, the, the running boards, the bottoms of the fenders, just rusted. Like you, like you dipped it in salt water, but only the bottom right-hand corner of the car. The left side looked like it left the factory in 1971. What an example of the salt coming in on the car next to it just being in the air. Like people who live in Miami or people live somewhere where they're close to the ocean and they get the salt air and their cars rot not from the rock salt but from the salt in in the air around them. And that beetle was just fucking, just, it broke my heart because the car was original paint and it was perfect except for that right side low the right lower side of that car was terrible so keep that in mind if you've got vehicles coming and going next to your motorcycle that you're going to have to essentially bunker that bike in create a barrier so that the water that's melting off of the car the snow and ice and shit that's melting off the car is all going to be loaded with salt keep that from going under your motorcycle because we've had hondas come in cb 750 four into fours which are very hard to get very hard to keep and the guy did a beautiful job, and the bike was restored, and he cleaned them up, and they looked beautiful. And then he brought the bike in the next year, and they were rusted from front to back. Why? Because it was in his garage. He'd bring his car in. The snow would melt off of the car onto the garage floor, and it just attacked that beautiful naked chrome on these exhausts. And the, the exhaust went from being a true historic... Uh, a heroic restoration, a beautiful job. He polished these things and brought them back from the dead on a 1971 CB. Uh, two years, they're shit, they're garbage. I'd like to make a comment about that. Please do. Too. What you have to understand was when you look at your pipes or you look at some of your chrome mm-hmm. and it looks rusty, Yeah. you can bring it back. Oh, he did. That yeah. 90% of the rust that you see yeah. Is because of one little pit, and right. it spreads out on top of the chrome. Oh yeah, it does. So a lot of that. Yeah. So when you go over them with polish, right. I like to use triple lot and, sure. and chrome polish. Yeah. You can get all that off. Oh yeah, and make it look really nice. Yeah, but it comes back really quick. Yep. Yeah. If it's super a, fast, because you know right. what I mean. So 
if you're going to polish it, then you mm -hmm. should also try to maybe wax it, but Absolutely. then you run into the problems with bluing up pipes and right. stuff like that. And I like the idea that you said, though, the pledge or some pledge, maybe 40 on anything over the winter yeah. just to give them a coat, and then you can clean it off in the spring. I, I religiously fluid film underneath all of our four-wheel vehicles like it's my job. And we're going to be doing that over the course of the next couple of weeks. We do it because we don't want our shit to rust, and we have some... We I have want some... fluid film to last longer. Well... You're well, supposed to do that, it every two years. I do it every year. But so you're saying two years? You can get they it. say two years. I do it every year. Uh, but IKEA, like I had the pan off the plastic yeah. pan. I yeah. did it all there, and yep. I'm like, ah, is it still there? I did it in the back because I mean, I was seeing some pretty bad yes. rust. Well, and on, like the spare tire and stuff. So, I mean, if you have a few extra bucks, so ACL fifty. That's what it does. Is it actually is capillary and it crawls into mm -hmm. stuff and will go up and into it. Yeah. And one of the cool parts about ACL fifty is like you can spray it on your your headers. And stuff, and when you run it, it just burns off, right. but it leaves no leaves color. no trace behind right, when it right, burns right. off. And corrosion blocker, their other product that's a little waxier and a little thicker, that works that way too. Um, there's just a number of good things out there. It's hard to it's hard to find a bad thing, by the way. Right. It, most of the stuff does. If you use it, it does what it's advertised. We're not telling you to spray oil um, on your tires. That's not what we're here no. for. Um, vegetable oil, believe it or not, I've got customers who use vegetable oil and swear by it. And their bikes are like a fucking salad, man. Like, they go at these things, and they get a spray bottle of vegetable oil, and they hit their bikes hard. Do you remember that one Greens, that CB350 that mm -hmm. bought, came from mid-Ohio yep. or whatever, and it was like, they put something on that bike. I will never know what that yeah. was. It was, but, yeah. well, but it was paraffin. Like, I think it was wax. I think it was actually... Spray wax. Yeah. But, but here's yeah. an important thing. But it saved that bike. That oh, bike that bike looked beautiful. gorgeous. By the time we got that shit off of there, it looked like a factory bike. Yeah. yeah. Any of the stuff that you put on your bike, yeah. any of this, any capillary, so WD-40, yeah. ACF-50, anything that moves around, if you get that on your brake rotors, you're fucked. Absolutely. Like, like brake yeah. cleaner won't even pull it no. out because it's it gets in the metal. into the yeah, metal. It gets into the metal. Yeah. The, when you park the bike up and you lay the bike up, if you are going to do anything, yeah, Buy a can of spray stuff, spray it on your bike. Uh, I will. I can assure you that we have not seen corrosion on parts that were sprayed. But if you look at the center stand of that that, that brown colored Vespa behind you, that GTV uh, 300, that is not a six year old bike, and that thing was parked on a gravel garage floor. Mm -hmm. And it looks like a bag of smashed assholes. I mean, that rust and corrosion, the pipe, the exhaust is rusted and corroded. And the rest of the bike is fine. There's nothing else wrong with it. But that undercarriage of that bike, every nut and bolt on that thing is fucking rusted. And it's going to be a real bitch to work on. I forget exactly what it is, but there is some logic to, like, you, especially if you have a vehicle parked outside, yeah. you don't want it on concrete. Well, they concrete is porous. I mean, by its in nature, concrete holds moisture, yeah. and it doesn't evaporate away. Yeah. And so everything is porous to a degree. And there were a lot of wives' tales about, like, oh, don't put your battery on concrete. It'll take all the power out of the battery. I don't know. Don't put don't your tires it. on concrete. It'll pull all the well, oil out of your tires. Here, you want, you want, you want yeah. a, a physical thing that you can do to see how much water is in your cement. Oh. So my garage is not heated. Right. And sometimes I want to work in my garage. 
So I have one of those torpedo heaters, right? Yep. And I have it on the wood, whatever. When I run the torpedo heater mm-hmm. in the middle of winter, yeah. my garage floor gets wet. It oh, yeah. pulls all yeah, the, the moisture. Because you're burning hydrocarbons. Yeah. You're making yep. carbon dioxide yeah. and water. Yep. Right. And it just sucks any it's, kind of moisture. So covering the bike, yeah, and a breathable cover, absolutely essential. Battery tenders. Yes, battery tenders. Optimate battery tender, whatever you've got, as long as it is a float charger. Um, what about the nine dollar and ninety five cent? Yeah, Harbor Freight. Leave that charger. shit at Harbor Freight, guys. <laughs> um, it doesn't work. They do catch on fire. We know that. We have customers that can testify it catches on fire. When we were a young baby motor scooter shop, and we really didn't know much about the world yet, and we were counting our pennies pretty closely, we thought it'd be really cool if we gave every customer, <laughs> with their purchase, a Harbor Freight battery tender. Well done. Well, I mean, we were better than the other guys. Right, you were trying. We were trying because we got sick of having everybody call us in February and March telling us about the dead batteries they had in their bikes. And now we'd sold them a bike with a bum battery back in October or November. (laughs) Well, so we figured the solution was we'll pony up 10 bucks a piece at Harbor Freight, we'll use our coupon, and we'll just hand them to the customer. Congratulations. And I can assure you, after doing that for two years, the number of phone calls that we got with dead batteries didn't go down as much as it should have. I just bought one, and I checked it out. Yeah. And that's what it does is 13 volts. Yeah. 13 volts. That's all it is, just a wall wart transformer? So it doesn't float? It doesn't do anything like it says it does? 13 volts. It's just 13 volts. 13 volts. Okay. Well, so there you go. 13 volts. <laughs> just 13 volts from now till forever. So basically, it's going to kill your battery as soon as that two, what that 250 milliamps. It's third, yeah, it's not. It'll much, overcharge your battery. But it's going to hold your battery at 13 volts. Yeah, but if you got a car battery, it, it probably won't hurt it. But if you have a motorcycle them, battery, I think they turned them down a little bit. Mm. So the newer ones are 13 volts. Right. I think the original ones may have been like 14 and a half. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. But in any case, which caused the fires most likely. Even if you have, even if you have, let's go back to Ohm's law. Even if you have a quarter of an amp, you know, 250 milliamp, that doesn't seem like much, but it doesn't take long for four quarters of an amp to equal one amp. That takes an hour. And then if you do that for eight hours, you're at eight amp hours. Well, if you have a seven amp hour battery in your bike, you've now officially overcharged your bike battery. Because now you're starting to cook. So that little $10 device in less than 24 hours has already started to damage your battery. Five days is 120 hours. You got it, baby. So unless you got a car battery in there, you're probably already damaging it. So that's what you do want to watch out for. So spend the 39 bucks and get yourself either a Deltran battery tender or get yourself an Optimate. And they do work. Schumer, Schumacher does Schumacher, Schumacher does a great job too. There's a lot of good products out there. And again, it's hard to find a bad one unless you have some LEDs on. It should, uh, it's it a good idea to have some lights. status indicator lights. Oh, yeah. Like the more colors, the better. Mm-hmm. If you've got three colors, you probably have a good product. <laughs> if you have one color, red, flashing or not, or if the color is fire, Probably not a good product. Or what? What a, the gauge of the wire too. If the gauge of the yeah, wire well, the is gauge like of the wire on the Harbor 22? Freight one is like human hair. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. it is human hair. So well, it's dangerously I up a, thin. A battery tender to my six volt battery that came in my '65 oh. Honda. Yeah. 
What does it mean when it alternately flashes red and green? It because means you it have do- a problem. It doesn't tell me on the thing what no, that means. It, it, what it means is you have hooked a 12-volt battery tender to a 6-volt battery. No, it's a 6-volt battery tender. Oh, it is tender. a 6-volt battery tender. That then came I have, with the bike. I have no idea what the hell and that means. It did that for about five minutes. Yeah. And then it just went to Usually they do solid red, red when they're working, yeah. Red, that it's right. charging. Yeah, it's okay. And then eventually well, flashed green saying so that it's 80% you're nearly charged. Done, right? What'll happen? But I've never seen one... Red and green. Red and green. Yeah. When I first plugged it in, I'm like, Red and green. What does that mean? Is that the and that's the Delta battery tender? That means it's too dead brand. for a tender battery, to charge. Yeah, battery yeah. tender brand. Right. Because I was going to say the battery tender. If it, if it senses that there's too much load, it will not try to charge. Flashing it. red. <laughs> too much load. Yeah. Flashing, flashing red absolutely means I'm not working. That's a you sure. have a problem. Right. Right. So but, flashing red and green means we have some work to do before we can start doing work. So what you have to do is hook up a six volt power yeah. supply to it. Right. Just get it over the and trick edge. it into thinking that it's not a bad battery. Right. And once you get it charging a little bit, then you can take the six volt power uh, supply off, yeah. and then it'll go into a. We charge use dumb. We use dumb chargers around here, so we have these big old, you know, yeah, garbage. Put a dump charger on put it. Put a dump for a little charger bit on it to, to, to get it yeah. up there, yeah. and then the tender will hang in. Yep. I mean, it came around and it fully charged within about. 12, 16 hours. And if you it's like if you have your cordless batteries. Sometimes yeah. you put them in, and then they'll they'll bork out. And you yeah. put them in and out a couple times, yeah. and then oh, now they'll charge. Because they just give it a kiss of voltage before yeah. they test it. You just got to get yeah. it up, you off kick of it over zero. the edge. They don't yeah. like zero. They don't like zero at all. So uh, another thing, people are going to ask, well, can I just take my battery out of the bike, take it in the house, just like it says in the manual? That's a fantastic idea. I like that. It works fine. Just remember that most batteries, even in your house where it's nice and warm, they do tend to lose. About between a half and one percent per day. So optimally, though, if you can take it out and put it on a battery tender, yeah. you're doing a little bit you're better. Doing great, than you're, man. Yeah, right. You're Batteries will freeze, yep. but a battery that's fully charges does not freeze. It almost—it's almost impossible to freeze a fully charged battery. As people in, in uh, Antarctica will Which tell. Which I don't know the chemistry behind that. Yeah. What the difference is between a discharged battery and why it will freeze quicker than a fully charged battery? It has to do with the fact that there's uh, electrons moving around, and you're going to have a very hard time. F- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Freezing. Uh, but yeah, so of course, use a battery tender. I think we covered that to fucking death. Um, the fuel itself, we talked about that. I think that's covered well. Covering the bike itself, yeah. Get a cover on the bike, but make sure it's not a fucking Ziploc bag. A breathable, bag. yeah. yeah. Breathe, breathable cover. Um, I'd like to suggest just put a heater in your garage. Well, well if you have the ability. If yeah, you can, you can. If you can't, then you got $100 for a restaurant right. on Craigslist. A little yeah. bit of run a pipe from your house, dude. I mean, but I think it's unanimous that if you can keep your garage, yeah, mm-hmm. if you can, even if you can keep your garage at forty-five <laughs> degrees yeah. or whatever, as right. long as it's consistent, you're going to yeah. be way better than having it fluctuate all that's the time. A, that's what having my hardwired, mm-hmm. hard plumbed in Resner. Mm-hmm. I can flip, I'll leave it on, turn the thermostat all the way down. Right. All the way down is probably forty degrees, maybe. Yeah. Right, yeah. and it's beautiful because. My wife can pull her car in there. All the snow melts off, but yep. then it dries up. It always—it's never—it's always at least forty degrees. Yeah. What about just parking it right there in the family room? You know, pushing the coffee table to the Look, side. And I did that for years, and I and when I was a bachelor, and I had my own house, and I had six motorcycles. The only two motorcycles that stayed in the garage were the motorcycles that I knew I wasn't going to do shit with. Like they were project bikes that weren't even started projects yet. I'd hose them down with WD or hose them down with fluid film. And, and who gives a fuck? You're next year's problem, right? But the bikes I wanted to ride, I had that patio door. And I love a patio door because a patio door is just like motorcycle parking. Mm-hmm. And I'd 
bring them in, and it was like my living room was hilarious. I had a Story and Clark player piano, an upright, and four motorcycles. And anytime I'd bring a girl over, and they they'd just be like, "Oh boy." <laughs> He owns his own house. Wow, that's great. He's got a great job. Fantastic. What kind of furniture does he have? Well, motorcycles. He's got this green Harley Davidson from the World War II or something. He's got a motorcycle that has six cylinders. I don't even know what that's all about. It's ridiculous. He's got some stupid magma or some shit with four pipes pointing up like rocket launchers. I can only imagine what the people who came to my house and saw the way I lived thought. And a big giant Rottweiler dog and a couple of cats. You know, yeah, that's the way I lived as a 20-something-year-old person. You know, that's, that's what life looked like to me. And whether it was, you know, the wife who stayed around for a while, or, you know, the girlfriends who came and went afterwards, or the person who ended up marrying me. They all walked in and saw that and went, this will do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always looking for the future next Mrs. X Waters. The best uh, is a split-level house. The one yeah, right? Ran into this German Holy guy who, who worked for white Volvo trucks or whatever. Yeah. He was an engineer. He was CBX stuff. I he, I look. I was on Craigslist and somebody's like, four pipes. Yeah. Ri- the Lotus, you know, the original yeah. CB seven fifty four and four pipes. Oh yeah, four and fours, man. Fifty bucks. <laughs> and I, this was the early days of Craigslist. I'm like, yes, I come and get him. I don't. I see the pictures. I come and get him. You sure they're little thing? I'll come and get them. You can't make me stop coming. Go down to uh, Brexville. <laughs> go to the guy's house, like in one of those little plans, a nice house and everything. Yeah. But he had the, the split level where, you know, the driveway is up here, oh, the yeah. main entrance is here, oh, but yeah. you can go down around the back of the house. Oh. And, you know, you have That's your patio, patio door. Out there, man. And then yeah. the whole basement of the house he had set up with CBXs. He oh. was a CBX guy. Oh, man. But he had happened to get a little sweet tooth for a CB750. Okay. So he restored beautiful restoration on a CB750. Wow. Had these extra beautiful pipes that weren't good enough. He ended up buying a brand new set of repros for thirteen hundred dollars oh, or yeah. whatever. Well, back then. <laughs> right. You know. I'll uh, take your castaways. All right. I'll take your cast offs. I asked if he wanted to adopt me, he wouldn't. <laughs> uh, ben Wiggins at gmail.com writes, I've been listening to your podcast since day one, and I noticed that when there's more drinking noises, the podcast runs longer. Hmm. I wonder why that is. Do you is. think there's anything to that? No, Ben. I have no idea what you're fucking That's talking a, about. That's according to Newton's law of... Hydrodynamics? Lubrication. Hydro-lubrication. Hydro-lubrication. So I printed out some uh, some training aids as I walk away from Whoa. the microphone. Yeah, no, he's all right. A fucking crime. Check so, test. So um, this is uh, because we did mention a couple of podcasts ago about your brake fluid and about your coolant and about those things and how long they last and the problems associated with them because... Carla Marin at yahoo.com. Hey, Carla. She says, I've got a BMW K1200LT, and I've noticed strange brake performance. Sometimes the ABS light is on, sometimes it's off, but my brakes always feel spongy. The bike is an 03, and I just picked it up last year on the cheap for only $3,000, and I love it. The local, local BMW dealer won't touch it because it's too old. Do you have any suggestions? The wonky braking performance has got me concerned. Zip tie the levers. Well, you know, we did. So, right, pump up the lever and zip tie it. Um, And that's it. So, just for fun, because we recently had a BMW K1200 LT in here. It's a big fucking bike, by the way. Um, It's one of the only bikes that BMW put reverse on. So, Mm. it does have a little weird little knob on the left-hand side down low, and you can 
flip that over and you get reverse out of it. I have one of those as well. You know, a little weird, me. A weird little knob. Yeah, right. so when you get your new hip, they're going to give you a special little knob. That's what I'm hoping uh, for. So you can back up. Hmm. I was somewhat surprised to see from the fine folks at BMW, and I'll pass this around. Maybe you'll be able to. Um, this is for the K1200 LT with as a, that has integrated ABS, so that's cool. How often do you think that they recommend that you should change your brake fluid on this? You know, this is her bike is um, an 03. Yeah. I'm going to say every day. <laughs> I know how often they said to change it on my 76 BMW, oh. which is every year. Every year. Exactly. So, yeah, in here it says, integral ABS, change the brake fluid in the wheel circuit every 12 months. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that I have never known a human being who changed the brake fluid every 12 months. No. Um, the brake fluid in the control circuit, now that's the part between your hand and the ABS controller, they say to change that every two years because that's really not down where the muck is. You know, that's not down in the genital region of the motorcycle, okay? Uh, clutch fluid every two years. Hmm. Noticing a trend here? Coolant every two years, okay? Um, this was my favorite one, and this is right from the BMW service manual, by the way. Replace the lining of the cam chain tensioning rail, chain guide rail, and thrust piece every 36,000 miles. Hmm. Oosh. Ooh, yes. That sounds like a major operation. It is a major operation. It's right. going to knock you back about 12 and a half hours of labor. Hmm. Ouch. Um, Stop, interesting. you're freaking Carla out. Right. Yeah, right on. Uh, if the motorcycle is ridden only short distances or at outside temperatures below 32 degrees Fahrenheit, the engine oil should be done every three months or every 1,800 miles. Oh, my goodness. What the shit, man? Um, this BMW, and I have not gotten into all of the things. Those are just the highlighted areas. They're fucking hilarious. And, you know, this is a motorcycle that you are you are basically doing... A service every six thousand miles, so it's not three thousand miles. It's it's every six thousand. So it's miles. slightly better than KTM. So I'm going to pass that around. You guys can kind of look at it, and if you see anything you like on there, um, call our attention to it. So because I wanted to give you guys what is the contrast to that, which is that's a BMW. I decided I'd do the Honda Goldwing. Ah. <laughs> so you know we we can tell that we're all pretty well versed that the the BMW people and Honda dealer Honda people don't really drink at the same coffee bar. And so um, you've, you've seen how elaborate and how beautiful that is, that document alone. And this is the schedule, by the way, for the, motor, for the Honda. It's like in the little Honda owner's manual. It's super tiny and small. Um, it has about half as many lines on it as the BMW one. So I'm going to guess right off the top that the service is probably half as much money. Uh, brake fluid, they do say that every two years or at an indicated odometer interval, whichever comes first, replacement requires mechanical skill. Refer to the official Honda service manual. Nice of them to say that. Um, they do say that it's supposed to be replaced um, every other year, and it does specifically say in that that uh, that, that brake. I'm sorry, the brake fluid does. Say and it's at twelve months, 
and at 24. So specifically, it does say replace every year for brake fluid. Clutch fluid, it does it at 12 and 24 as well. Engine oil, I thought that was pretty cool because they're doing the engine oil on a 8,000-mile interval hmm. for the Goldwing. That's saying something. And by the way, I didn't do it for the 2018 Goldwing. I did it to the 2003 Goldwing to be apples to apples, to compare it. And so the engine oil is replaced literally at 4,000 miles, it's replaced at 12,000 miles, and it's replaced at 20,000 miles. When I replace my brake fluid, yeah, I mean, what does that consist of? I mean, what would you do if they, if you thought you were doing a good service on a brake fluid? I can tell you what I think about Yeah, it. and it's not what the manual says, because I can tell you what the manual says, and I can tell you what I do, and they're different. So here's what I would do. Yeah. And you, you guys can disagree. I you would probably won't, though. A, crack the bleeder, mm -hmm. because I, wanna the I don't want the bleeder to get stuck. Right. So that's important to crack that every once mm -hmm. in a while. Yep. I would crack the bleeder. I would let some fluid drip out. Mm-hmm. I would close the bleeder, mm -hmm. and then I would refill my reservoir. Right. And that would let some of the old stuff out and yeah. put some fresh stuff in. And if you did that every year... I do what's called dialysis. I take a section of hose, mm -hmm. I hook it to the bleeder, um, and we have one-handed bleeders here, and we have fancy bleeder tools and stuff. That it, it doesn't matter. Bleeding breaks is bleeding breaks. And I will submerse that hose into brake fluid. I'll crack the bleeder. I will open up the master cylinder, and this is a traditional system. Let's just say we're doing a front brake. I'll crack, I'll make sure the handlebars are as level as possible so the master cylinder container is as flat as it can be so it can hold the maximum amount, and I will very slowly do dialysis, and I will pump out all of the bad old fluid as I replace the top with brand new fluid. So you're Eventually, putting a tube on the bleeder. Yeah. So when you pump it mm -hmm. and you let go, you it can't suck air. air you in. can't draw any right. air back in. So I'm submersing the end of the, the bleeder tube in brake fluid. So once the, once enough leaks out to fill up the tube, mm -hmm. then you can't suck air back That's in. That's correct. Right. It's, it makes sure that there's a zero zero air being introduced to the system by me doing what I'm doing. And then at some point, 26 pumps later, all the old fluid, the old brown fluid is out and the new clear fluid is in. All the old brown fluid is in your Dixie cup or whatever you're using down at the bottom. And then as you're making your last couple of pumps, go ahead and crack the bleeder, crank the bleeder down. Now, of course, that doesn't work at all for fucking ABS bikes. So for ABS bikes, that's a problem. The ABS circuit is going to trap some of that old fluid in it. So I know this is going to sound crazy, but the down and dirty way that I'd like to do it when I'm not doing it for customers at the shop where I'm using their device or their scan tool to open their ABS system. Because there is a tool, um, most manufacturers or dealers will have a diagnostic tool that they will hook up to a computer to your OBD sensor or your flat four sensor on your motorcycle that will actually tell the motorcycle to open the ABS circuit or cycle the ABS circuit. Once it does that, then you can perform a brake bleed, and it will push all the brake fluid out of your brake controller valve. So you are actually shooting for changing at least 90-some percent of your oh, brake yeah. fluid out of it. When I do it personally, I try to get as much as humanly possible. You're not just moving a little bit of getting rid of the last little bit that's right. in, just moving some fresh no, stuff to the system. I want to have what's in the reservoir at the top all the way through the system be as fresh as possible. I know I'm not going to get every drop, but I'm going to be fucking close. And if I'm not going to use or if I do not have access to the computer, the diagnostic tool, 
to activate the ABS control valve, what I'll do is I'll go out onto the wet parking lot or grass, which is my favorite, with a bike that I know has ABS, and I get to play the do you trust this bike game, which is where you kind of come at the grass. You know, I come across my parking lot on concrete, and then when I get to the grass, I lay heavy into the brake. And of course, what's going to happen is the brake, the brake diverter valve is going to function. Dot, 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 dot. Well, what that just did was that just pumped all that fluid that was in the brake ABS system into your other system. Now I go and I do the exact same thing I did before, crack the bleeder valve, put a hose in a Dixie cup, well, inverse that, um, and pump, 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 pump. Now I've released the schmoo into the brake system, and now that I've done my second transfusion, I know that 100% of the fluid in my braking system, or clutch system for that matter, has been cleaned. So same system for a clutch, same system for a rear brake. Um, I find that by operating the ABS, you are essentially performing it a service because very a good rider may not operate his ABS very frequently, and or maybe just very a true. rider in general. Very, I mean, you're not riding in right. the winter. Right. So a rider in general may not be activating his ABS very frequently. So if I can go into the grass in a controlled area where I feel confident and activate the ABS, pop, 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 one, it restores my confidence as a rider. Hey, this ABS shit works because I just did a keel hold the brakes at 12 miles an hour on wet grass and I can live to tell about it. And it makes all those valves open and close. Who knows when the last time was yeah, they, they opened and closed? To, any, yeah, they got to be cycled. Like that that's open to the weather that never operate. You know, you, yeah. you want that. To so I do that, and I creep up on it rather gradually. You know, I, I I'll try to do it on you know wet. Well, I got one gadaga out of it. Yeah, I got one gadaga. Okay, um, it is funny. Uh, you do feel you do feel taller. Recently, we had a problem with a couple with a Vespa that didn't have a, a an ABS system that wasn't working just right, and I ran it from the concrete at full chat into the grass and just gave fucking hell hath no fury, man. I just grabbed that shit like it owed me money. And I was very happy that the Vespa ABS system, and I didn't crash. I didn't eat grass. I didn't hit the tree, nothing. It was great. It was really cool. And it stopped real short, too. It was very impressive. Um, so that was cool. Radiator coolant, uh, they say inspect it every 8,000 miles. And... That's another one. They say uh, replace it every two years. So on the radiator flu fluid for the Honda Goldwing. And, I mean, I know we have a bikes come in here at the service. 18-year-old bike still has 19-year-old radiator fluid in it. Coolant's in it. It's, you know, 19 years old. Um, guaranteed. I think my CB1 still has the original. Oh, yeah. Fluid <laughs> in it. It's like four. It only has 3,000 miles on it. Yeah, it's like four transmission fluid. You don't ever change it. Um, so just for fun, I decided to get the... Harley Davidson service intervals, because <laughs> I thought it'd be fun. Uh, you know, we're all uh, none of us around here are afraid to shake a wrench in a motorcycle, so I thought this would be super cool. Um, first of all, Harley Davidson does love their dealers. They protect their dealers. They make sure that their dealer gets to visit their customer as often as possible um, by making the customer come into the dealership every twenty five hundred miles. <laughs> What the fuck, man? Well, that's I mean, like seven years for most Harley guys. I don't know, so. but it's so fucking crazy. Okay, so first of all, at 500 miles, they're calling for a full service that is all of this. And by the way, this is more than was on the BMW list, by the way. Um, I counted the lines. There's more lines. 
And this is on a, but this is not for an ABS integrated Harley Davidson, I should add. This Harley Davidson in my hand, um, the sheet is not for a 2003 with ABS. Um, they didn't have ABS in 2003. Um, this is for an 89, by the way. This is for the FLHS. So this is truly simplicity. Um, and despite its lack of ABS, it has more lines of service than the BMW did. Go figure. Pretty fucking funny. Um, but yeah, they say 500 miles should come in for a, a service that is just, let's just say, impressive. <laughs> and then at 2,500 miles, you better bring it in for just a basic inspection. You know, just an inspection. We're not going to change anything. Is anything falling off? Is... We're going to give it an inspection. Um, what I love about it is that at that point, um, when you come in for your five thou, at five thousand, it's your full service, which we'd expect, right? Say so a full service. Uh, that's right. They make a special point though to torque all fasteners except engine head bolts um, at a literal five thousand mile interval. Now, I can assure you that at the Honda and, and the BMW, it did not specify to torque all fasteners, except for head bolts. So that or means... Right. <laughs> I don't have that. I didn't print that one out. <laughs> I didn't. But it is pretty funny when you look at this, how vicious it is. And they also are having you replace the spark plugs every 5,000 miles in the Harley-Davidson. <laughs> every 5,000 miles. I'm um, such a bad parent. You, we feel like assholes when we look at this shit. And it is, it's so bad when you're like, oh, because the, to give you an idea, the Goldwing, do you know how often you're supposed to replace the spark plugs in that? 25,000 miles. And the Harley-Davidson is every 5,000 miles. I do it all once. Yeah. When I get the bike. When I get the bike. And that's the best thing you can do, by the way. Is you're just, all you're doing is you're like, look, baby, I don't care if you were a stripper or a nun. I don't care. We're going to start from zero in our relationship. I don't want to hear about anybody else who did anything else to you. All the things all those other guys didn't do for you, right. I'm going to do for you right now. We're going to start this relationship off on a good foot. You're going to get fresh oil, fresh coolant, fresh brake fluid, fresh I'm going to lube your ass right up. And you know what? This may be the last time I'm ever this attentive to you. Right. But it, at least it happens. So if anybody wants to see these, because they are kind of funny to compare Honda, Harley, and BMW... But realistically, yeah. in my life, I mean, yeah. if I do that, right, I'm not. I am I going to put five thousand bike miles on the bike before I sell it? Not probably. when you own fifteen bikes. Probably, right? Not. Probably not. So I thought that was really funny. I got a kick out of that, that comparing the maintenance schedules of those three motorcycles. Hey guys, in case you didn't know, there is a contest going on for Cleveland Moto at gmail.com. Would love to see your ideas of what our shop logo should look like, what our Cleveland Moto logo should look like, because our logo is getting old and tired. And uh, our friend uh, Greg Huthu came in here who brought, um, who just has given us fantastic logos. But this is a contest. We, are, we do have prizes to give away. We have things that people might want to, to have in their world and we're going to give some of them to you if you design a logo and send it to us. So if you send us a kick-ass logo, we're going to send you or potentially send you some kick-ass prizes. Um, we decided to be pretty generous with it this year, so we're going to give you kind of your choice of certain bell helmets. And uh, we also may throw um, 
a jacket your way or something like that. But if you decide that after listening to our podcast and our new enhanced auditory experience that's brought to us by Steve Cinch, uh, Sleepy to the Rescue with this gear, um, yeah, shoot us a uh, shoot us an email message or shoot us some artwork at clevelandmoto at gmail.com. That's how you get in touch with us. It's pretty easy. The uh, Anybody else got anything else? No. Um, shoot and scoot this weekend. Oh, That's yeah. right, yeah. Bruce, so if you're yeah. in the area and you're in the neighborhood, because we're going to drop this most tricky tick uh, tomorrow, Saturday afternoon. You guys are meeting at Bruce's place, mm-hmm. right? Sometime Saturday I'm going to wander yeah. on over there. You're going to wander up. over there? Yeah. I mean, whenever I can. Right. <laughs> I'm probably going to be out there Sunday morning, Sunday yeah. earlier, yeah. Um, just because I, I've got some people. We've been selling the little micro, they're selling the little Japanese cars. Great. Um, so the guy came out today from Virginia and bought a Honda Beat, mm-hmm. and we got a guy, um, a podcast listener, interesting, who mm-hmm. has got his uh, livery company or his uh, vehicle hauler, going to show up tomorrow to pick up the the Nissan Pow that I had myself, my my personal Pow, my favorite mm-hmm. Pow. Oh. Got the fancy exhaust on it, lowered a little bit, you know, the convertible to five speed. I really didn't want to sell it. It was one of those things. I talked to him on the phone and. Everything's for sale. Dude, the, the guy fucking glamored me. I swear to God. It's like talking to a vampire. Next thing I know, I'm like, sure, I'll sell you my pal. The one I set up just for me. There's more available. Again, well, and... No such thing as a rare Nissan. Well, I mean, yes. there's 10,000. So, yeah, right. I mean, we'll see. We saw a video today of Duncan, uh, Duncan Imports and just Ugh. the hundreds and hundreds of Nissan Figaro's and... AZ ones, you know, auto. That was insane. It's a I crazy thought, thing. I thought you it? were like over exaggerating a video, right? As sometimes maybe you do. Sure, why not? Right. But which one of the two in that picture are you selling? Um, so the tan, the tan Figaro is merits. It's not going anywhere. Uh, but the the blue pow, the blue the, or the turquoise? No, the they came in blue, green. Okay, so that's green. Ivory and uh and The blue pal is the one that you wanted, that you had. Yeah, the blue one's the one I had, and I like it. It's like a 50s baby blue color mm-hmm. with, the, with the soft top and the, the, you know, the tweed interior. It was pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, – I was – it was a little bit to – it was a little bit to make the decision to sell it. It, it really was. And – but you're right. There will be more, right? You made money. You don't you're, name you're the chickens. You're going to make a little bit of That's money. That's exactly right. You don't name the chickens. And then you enjoyed it. what it comes down to. And I had a blast with it. I'll have more. And I also got to make room because I got other weird, weird Japanese cars and, coming in. And you don't have one thing that's just cool. Like you no, have a we lot got some of shit. things. That yeah, we got cool, some stuff. Right? We got some weird stuff. And What's I, I the, like uh, are you, have you been actively marketing the Japanese hearse? I took it to Cars and Coffee. Yeah. Where I did run into some very interesting people, and the cars and coffee in Cleveland happens. Is at interesting Starbucks. a metaphor for something, or is that just no? They're cool. Like it was cool, and the cars and coffee in Cleveland gets all kinds of weird. There's the Ferraris and the Lamborghinis park over here, mm-hmm. and then there's like the 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 Austin Moke. There's clicks. Like, come on, dude, Austin Mokes. You got that. You got the Caterham and the uh, the low cost low cost sevens mm-hmm. are over here, and then these guys got your muscle cars <laughs> over sevens. here, right? Um, oh, it's cool, and and there was just a lot of really good, and maybe only forty cars, fifty cars. And then, but came, a good smattering. Then came Phil. I just I showed up first because I didn't know how they ran it. Like it was the last cars and coffee of the year, and it said that it started at seven thirty, 
and went until like 11 or whatnot. Mm-hmm. We opened the shop here at 11 on Saturdays. So I wanted to get the most out of it. And uh, the weather was, it was grim. It wasn't mm-hmm. real, it was cold and it was gray. So I wasn't really worried about the rain too much. But that particular day, James was going to use the hearse at his uh, sister's bar in Painesville. And they were going to do that trunk-or-treat thing where the kids, instead of trick-or-treating in the neighborhood, they trick-or-treat in a parking lot and everybody kind of opens the trunk of their cool car and has candy and stuff for the kids. Yeah, that's my pow, though. That one there. Uh, that's that's the one I just sold. So it's, go, it's leaving tomorrow. And so... I pulled up and I got there bright and early and had my big coffee because I didn't want to give Starbucks any money. Um, they don't sell coffee the size I like. Mm. And, and I just don't understand their coffee either. I'm a simple person. I like coffee, one cream. And I don't sell that there. At least I haven't figured out how to order it. And so, yeah, I, I was there first. And then I figured that I fucked up and that they had it somewhere else and, or it was the end of the season. It wasn't going to happen because it was too cold. And then one by one, they all started filling up the parking lot, and it was pretty cool. And it was fun. I got to meet a lot of people that are there. Um, whole wide array of cool cars. But then the guy that I sold uh, one of my first POWs to, he was there with his little Honda 600, uh, like the first Honda car sold in America, one of, you know, one of the very first uh, Honda cars. And he was there. And then the dude with the Moke, he had a Figaro. So there were some other people that are into some weird uh, fetishy Japanese shit. And they were there. It was kind of fun, kind of neat. So it's a, it was a good experience, all told. Nobody's throwing, throwing an offer at it. No, I told everybody there. I was like, look, man, 10 grand. And they were like, wow, that's cheap for that hearse. 10 grand is cheap. I was like, okay, cheap, cheap. It's fucking yep. late egg already. Nobody dropped a yes right. with an M at the beginning? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. yeah you know what it feels to be like that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, Goldwing dealer down in there. <laughs> well, I love the Goldwing dealer was just like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. He's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I love it when you got a motivated a motivated seller and a motivated buyer. And, yeah, there's a <clears throat> one guy's like, yeah, I'll take an offer. Sure. When you're standing in front of me and holding cash, I'll listen to your offer. Until then, shut the fuck up. And it is true. I put tons of stuff on Facebook Marketplace. And I'll list a little micro truck on Facebook Marketplace for $49.99 or something for, you know, you know, vehicle. Right. And people are offering me, you know, will you take $2,500 for it? No. Again. No. Stand in front of me with cash in your hand. And then we'll discuss it. But don't be insulting either. I don't even give a shit about the insulting at this point. It tells me a lot about them. <laughs> right. Right? It's They're not insulting me. I'm just like, how can you live with that level of shitbaggery in your own fucking world? Right. Like, you know, the guy's asking 5000 but you know what? I'm going to offer him 2500 because I know what it's worth. No, you don't. You haven't seen it yet, you cocksucker. Right. You know what? Here's the thing. I'm going to get one someday, and it's going to be a real fucking house of horrors. It's going to be a real shitbox. It's going to be a snack sandwich of bad ideas. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it up on Facebook Marketplace at like $6,000. And some cock gargler is going to call me up and say, will you take $3,000? i am going to say yes. <laughs> right now. Mm-hmm. Bring it. Cash. You know what? I've given up on life. You're right. <laughs> I don't deserve $6,000. I'll take your $3,000. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> and when he shows up. Which he won't. Which he probably won't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Because even when they offer it, they're not prepared to pay it. No. So why bother? Right. And I have thought about trolling them a few times and just mm. being like, well, here it is, dude. You're the one that bought it. Congratulations. And, 
But I'll never get the payoff on that gig because they'll never show up. Because anybody who does that cuts you in half on an offer and they haven't seen it in person yet. And those guys are too busy just being awful to even show up and try to buy something. They're all they're all just terrible. Terrible. So yeah, that's just it. It's part of selling shit online, whether it's Craigslist or eBay or whatever. It's there's always those guys. And it would be fun if you could yelp people. (laughs) 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 Just straight up. I mean, Yelp is a broken and destructive and defective thing anyway. Right. But let's just admit that it's broken, destructive, and defective and just make it for people. Did you watch Black Mirror? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, had, she got a rating. Yeah, 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 exactly. You had the personal rating. Right. Yeah, they, she had a personal they rating. They nailed that yeah. shit, dude. And, yeah, she's buying yeah. coffee for everybody and just yeah. smoking pole all day long trying to keep a good rating. <laughs> and then ends up just getting smeared because she, like, cut somebody, cut her off in traffic right. or something. Yeah, yeah. And her just shit just spiraled real fast. Yep. But straight up, I think that... Eat me and go. <laughs> eat me and go, man. Why not? That's that, that's the name of an Italian food chain is eat me and go. And again, the Italians can get away with that. We can't. Um, I would love if somebody, <clears throat> if it was like Airbnb, if I stay at somebody's house for Airbnb, I stay there, I had a great night, whatever, and I move on with my journey. I'm busy. I'm traveling. I'm having fun. I'm not leaving feedback real quick. So I'll get an email message a couple of days later that says, you know, Cassandra, who uh, was the host at the house you rented in Portland, has left you feedback for your stay at Portland. Right. If you leave Cassandra feedback, her feedback, her feedback about you will be revealed. It's that old I show you yours, you show me mine business, right? I call. I call, right? (laughs) And so you're like, hmm. If I never say anything, I won't be able to see what she said about me. Right. Nor will anyone else. Nor will anyone else. And everybody wins. Or (laughs) do I say, you know, the house was great. I had a great time there. That was wonderful. In hopes that Cassandra said the same about me. But. But. I feel like with my business in particular, that if somebody wants to leave me a fucked up review Mm -hmm. about something that we did, that's fine. It should go in a little holding chamber. Mm-hmm. And I should be alerted that, you know, Harvey T. Scumbag just left me a review of my business. And then I can check and see whether or not I've sold anything to Harvey. Right. And prove the fact that that guy shopped here. We have five fucked up reviews. Only one of them was a person who did any business with us. The other four had a personal axe to grind or whatever. Or they were a dickbag friend of my competitor or, or who knows what. Or somebody who I told to go fuck their hat because I wouldn't work on their Chinese bike. You see that guy on there twice if you look. Um, I've never spent a dollar here. Never spent a dollar here. Not one penny. Is I just that the sit- same guy that reviewed the children's park? Uh, no, no, that was a guy. Uh, that was a guy for whom we refused to change his tire for free. Right, right. Um, <laughs> that he bought somewhere else. Um, this children's park does not have enough young supple children at it. No, his exact quote was, "Sunrise Park." No kids, why bother, one star. Sometimes it's better Yeah. when you just take it the way it comes. So yeah, that's it. So I always thought it'd be fun. If they like, if they left me a review, that'd be great. But I would also be able to leave them a review. Right. You're an asshole. Well, fuck you. <laughs> exactly. Period, new paragraph. Right. right. Yeah. Oh, the good news is we've got eight cameras going in here at all times. And I can roll it back. 
So we could create a really nice three-minute video clip of the way you behaved while you were in here. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so that, that would be on the greatest hits column. So yeah, if you want to leave me that one-star review, this is going to be awesome. I'm willing to spend the one star. It's so good. I figure for the last year that we're in business, we're going to have amnesty year. And we're going to try to bring our 4.7 star, our 4.7 stars down to a nice even one. <laughs> where, it's just, where it's just straight up like, James, Renee, game on. This is it. We're Don't put up out, with anything. We're going to go out with a bang. Yep. Right. We're going to go out with a bang. You know what? Be honest. Yep. Don't make shit up. Just be honest. That's all you can but do. But sometimes people need honesty. And those are the people you're going to hear from. Very loudly. Yeah. <clears throat> That's it, man. I got all nothing right. else. Cinch, thank you so much for bringing all the cool shit. No, we're going to do this. We're going to make this good. Yeah, I was. it was this remarkable. This the first podcast I actually listened to. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear what it sounds like. Yeah, I like the way you were throttling back. Like when I feigned I was going to sneeze, you were like, "Oh, oh you were." Yeah. He's been running the board, as yeah, they no say. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So that's quite good. Well, the content is worthwhile. The effort. That's the important part. I was very happy with the way the podcast sounded last week. I thought we were on topic and we stayed mm-hmm. you know, like we were pretty good. I was very happy what a with us. Coincidence. I wasn't here. Oh, strange. Go no, but you, it yeah. was great to see. Yeah. yeah, but it was it was one of those things that I was like, yeah, this is good. I felt pretty good about it. Two weeks mm-hmm. ago, it was a goddamn shit show. Right. And it wasn't a shit show because the content was terrible. It was a shit show because the audio just came out bad. And we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> we're not doing that anymore. No yeah. more. No more of the shit show. No. So if that's it, man, ride fast, take chances. Play us out of here. Reach the goddamn mic, press the button. I got it. I got it. I got it.